here we are, ladies and gentlemen. It feels weird me not saying hey now to start any sort of show, which yeah, is what I just said. a little weird, yeah. I talked about it before we started. I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to just, you know how Joe Rogan, when he starts the podcast, it's like, it, it's almost already in the middle of a conversation. Like yes. they're already talking about something. You have no idea what they're talking about. So I want to kind of do that instead of coming into it and be like, hey now, hey now, hey now. Because I already get people that complain about that. I was at the shop the other day, and Henry was giving me a rundown of, you know, there's a lot of listeners that come in the store, yeah. and he was giving me the rundown of the complaints that he gets about the show. Now, obviously, these people still listen to the show, but he's like, one of them says your music sucks, the other one says you say hey now too much, another one says you're too negative, and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> but they're still listening. They still come in and talk about it, you know. Yep. So, they're yeah. still listening, and they're following directions in the sense of going to Vapor Forge like I tell them to do. Yeah, and I'll t- I got to tell you, but where to advertise that, the customers that we get in that say, hey, now, they just seem like, I don't know, if I better customers overall. They're, They're good just, old Americans is what they are. Yeah, they never any problems, you know, everything's fine. <laughs> that's, that's how we all want it. So this is our second ever interview podcast in our interview, over-the-line interview series, and uh, we decided, we were actually... What we were going to do is we were going to bring you in on the third one. Right. And we were going to have, I'm not going to say who we were supposed to have today. I'm going to wait and make that a surprise. But, I know. Um, he had a situation come up. So we're like, Tony, I knew Tony would do it whenever we needed him to do because he's a team player. So we moved that up and here we are to uh, to start the Tony show. Now, you've got, and I've, I've said this before, Tony's got... A million stories. We call him Tony Gump because his his life is like Forrest Gump, the movie Forrest Gump. You've been through a million things. You got a million, th- and your memory is second to none. So that just adds to it, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't even tell people stories because I already know they won't believe me. Yeah, <laughs> like you know? Tony Gump's full of it. Yeah, he's full. Of- so uh, before we get started, because I, I got some questions to ask you, and I, I know you got you, you had to take notes because that's how much stuff is going on, which is important to do. Well, I had 36 hours notice, so none of this is scripted. <laughs> yeah, I just literally sat down this afternoon and just jotted out you know, notes along the way in my head. So. Yeah, there's that, there's that part too. I do want to uh, give a shout out to our official sponsor of this Over the Line podcast uh, interview series, and that's our boys over at Wild Hair Jerky. Y'all hear us talk about them all the time. They do a phenomenal job. I'm, and I'm not blowing smoke, dude. This is some of the best beef jerky. I've ever had. So what I need y'all to do, I need you to make your way over to Wild Hair Jerky on Facebook. For those of you watching the video, it's right there. You see where they're located. Give them a like. They're getting ready for a, a grand opening, I guess, if that's what we call it. They're getting all their approval stuff out of the way. They keep you updated with that on the um, uh, on the Facebook page. But they send me jerky on a regular basis, and it's it's second to none. I absolutely love it. And, and even talking about... Uh, the 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 uh, Vapor Forge. We I, I take jerky up there all the time. Noah in particular, he's a jerky freak, a jerky connoisseur, and he's also very blunt, so he won't lie to you. So when I took it to him and he said he he gave it the stamp of approval, I'm like, okay, this is the real deal, real deal stuff. I love it. I love it when he sends me stuff. You can go on go ahead and hop on this train early by going and liking the page. Keep it updated and uh, get to start sampling stuff. Check it out. See what you like. They got 
phenomenal, phenomenal flavors. And if you ever need any advice on what to get on the wild jerky front, you just let me know because I know the deal. We even got our wild jerky uh, cups over here, which are very nice. Very nice. They sent us those as well. I got so much wild jerky swag. It's crazy. And then, obviously, Vapor Forge. Tony, the, uh, uh, Tony and Amy, the owners of Vapor Forge, doing fantastic things. They are the very first ones to advertise with the line. I mean, day one. Yes. You, you were one of, actually you were one of the first people that I told I even had the job at uh at, at ninety nine five. Yeah, I had to keep hush about that. And You're then you like, had to hey, keep it quiet. Check this out. You know, nobody knows. I'm but like, okay. Yeah. Your response to me was, I want to be the first advertiser. Yeah. <laughs> like you had no idea the show. The show could have flopped, it could have been awful, but you were like, Hey, I want to be the first advertiser on that show. I mean, I was like I, I knew it wasn't gonna totally suck because I had already heard you on the podcast and things like that. So yeah. I felt confident about what I was doing, but um, yeah, we yeah. were doing a lot of a lot of stuff. Oh, also, uh, this show is brought to you by, let's see, both of these nuts. That's a candle <laughs> that I have, as you can see there. What? It's literally called both of these nuts. So I'm afraid to smell that. It okay, like, banana nut bread and hazelnut vanilla. I see. Yeah, okay. if your if your nuts smell like banana banana bread, then it smells like both of these nuts. Let me light this real quick. That's a, that's interesting. Try that out. All right. It's not bad. Let's go ahead and blow this out for our startup fire. Okay. Boca these nuts. Both of these nuts. Both of these nuts. <laughs> Del Boca Vista. Yeah. All right. So we, you and I had talked about this for a long time. If I'm not mistaken, you and I probably sat in this room right here and came up with the idea for this interview stuff. I believe we did. Um, sort of, we talked about this a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, just an idea, but we had a hundred, you know, ideas how, how anything was going to happen. But, uh, I think it's interesting. And if you get some interesting people on here, I, I don't think too many people are going to find me as a personality. I'm not on the radio or anything like that, but I know all these guys and I get what they're trying to do. And I, I've been trying to help out Andrew too. And my wife as well has been trying to help and whatever, trying to get things lifted up. Well, and it's it's about not necessarily bringing in, always bringing in people that other people know, but more of people that have a story to tell. And honestly, the field is not that large for me to pull from because I have to bring in people that are going to be transparent. You know, John Bird set the tone in the first episode. Yeah, I got, I got to be fully transparent <laughs> now. That's what kind of scares me, but I'm, I'm willing to do it. This, John, is, this is the most I've ever told anybody about myself, especially publicly. Yeah, you know? well, you've never sat it down, and this was John Bird's thing. He had never sat down and, like, done it all in one sitting and just kind of unpacked everything, you know, and especially for Bird, you know, he had so much stuff in his past that he had to, it was therapy for the guy, which, you know, turned out to be a good thing. So. That's that's one reason why I kind of wanted to do it, too, for my own reasons, just to kind of get it off my chest. And uh, there's a few people that know me and they can, you know, maybe see how I became who I am. So I'm basically Dr. Phil is what we're saying. OK, I am. Right. I am the Dr. Phil of podcast at this point. Now, as I tell things, uh, there's going to be certain things you might, you know, be like, oh, this guy, I'm just being honest about what happened. Well, so. and, I, and I know you, you don't want to miss anything at all. 
And so that one, that's why you've got the notes too. But I know if we get to the end of this thing and you forgot something, you're going to beat yourself up. Oh, it's it. going to happen, but I'll be all right. There's <laughs> just, and there's stuff I haven't even written down. And there, a lot of stuff didn't pass the quote sniff test. Right. And the wife and I were talking about, ah, I can't better not talk about that one. You know, there was a lot of that going on. <laughs> well, let's, let's do so, this. Let's try to take, um, right. let's, let's take it this way. Let's start off just about Tony. Tony Gump, the man. What about your family? You're you're married, right? Right. Okay, I'm married. Yeah, we got. I inherited all my kids. I married a wife that already had uh, kids, so I got two sons and a daughter, and mm. I got four grandchildren. You know, and uh, if you're on the video, you can see my wife posing with Hulk Hogan. It was a oh, fl- Florida oh. trip we took together where I used to live when I'm after I moved here. So Hulk Hogan's not in your family? Uh, no, okay. but I do know him personally. His last name, it's actually Terry Bolia is his name. And I knew his son too. It wasn't like I hung out for dinner with him, but he, he was like, you know, I knew who he was and, you know, things like that because he lived really close to where I worked. There's you, know. you and Amy and the the puppies. Yep, yep. Those are our little babies right there. Those I are the original them. two. Yeah. And uh, that's my brother, Tom. <laughs> uh, I wanted to humiliate him because he picked on me as a kid all the time, and I get to pick on him. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's what a winner real, that is. That's okay. real good. That is me in an apartment right after... Th- that was right when we were starting our quest with the vaping industry, and I love that color green, and that was when we decided that was the color we were going with. And that's that, that picture is when you decided to go that color? Well, yes, that was electric green, and I loved it, and it wow. was something different, and where we wanted to put the place, and how nobody else had that color, and it was kind of original, and yeah, hmm. so that kind of tells that. Uh, how about that? Yep, that's... Uh, More Tony, Amy. Vape me, that's us together, yeah. These are the... chilling. Uh, is that a muzzle? I have, you know, they <laughs> just we're just playing around. That's at my, uh, that's at my mother-in-law or my mom, whatever. Uh, that's Amy's mother. Uh, we we're just chilling over there for an event. Uh, good times. Yeah. You know, so. so big, big happy family. Uh, lots of people involved. Uh, let's let's go. Let's just start from the beginning. Let's go childhood. Okay. Tony's childhood, where were you born? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, okay. uh, Cuyahoga County, uh, June, uh, late 70s, uh, and uh, great childhood. I had four siblings. There was my dad's side. He had three kids on a previous marriage, and my mom had one kid on a previous marriage, and then they both had their divorces. They got together and then uh, once they were happy and married, then they had me. So I was the only child of my parents together. Mm. Uh, so all my siblings are half. So they're raising five kids in one house. And it was just like, you know, you learn so much. It was the setting. I, I had all the structure. It was all the right things at the right place to set you up for success later on in life. Yeah. Uh, gr- I mean, just teamwork. Uh, nobody ate dinner at certain points unless everybody's beds were made and rooms were cleaned up. Wow. Uh, and, and if somebody was slacking, then we didn't eat. So we had to go make sure he did it or she did it or so-and-so would help you that week. If you helped them do this part next week. What a structured system that is. But it was, it was on purpose. It was by design. Um, and none of us do stuff like that now. And it's not, I, I say that and it's not a good thing. Like, 
household should be more like that it, today. It, there was even the bar, like, you know, all my sisters got dishes for the next two weeks. She'd be like, hey, I'll trade you the dishes for... You, <laughs> you were like bartering soups right. in prison. <laughs> and that, that, but that taught us a lot. And I right. learned out later on in life that that was all done on purpose. It wasn't just because my dad was lazy, you know? Right. So uh, there was all that. And just the right structure, the right family atmosphere. I couldn't be more blessed with the early childhood. Uh, everything was great. Yeah. Um, I, the, the only thing, like, traumatically you know john burr was on here talking about things that happened to him uh there's really only a couple of instances that i remember like in the early ages in the cleveland area there was i was uh six years old playing soccer at a friend's house and we were just kicking the ball back and forth in his front yard and here comes all we hear this like noise and we turn around and then there's this horse just going full speed down the road and it's got this little girl tied to the the right side, like her foot was caught in the or stirrup. I don't know any much about horses, but she either. was dangling. And I was a little kid, and I literally saw this girl like a rag doll being like banged around, head hitting the ground. How old is this girl? I, 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 I can't eat. Six, like, seven, eight? I want to say young? like eight or nine. Okay. She was older than I was, but she was still young. And then I see this car go speed past it. The horse is going nuts, just bolts out. Then it went out into like the, the tree area. And then it was the parents, I guess, behind the car. And next thing you know, like, cop cars, ambulance. She died. The, the wow. horse, like, yeah, though, it, she got, got her foot stuck in the horse. The horse got freaked out, and he just took off. And I, I, I witnessed that as a little kid. It was kind of, you know, kind of a shocker. You yeah. Know? I, I didn't even go to the school the next day and be like, guys, look what I saw. Jeez. I, I didn't even talk about well, it. Well, that's traumatizing as yeah, a kid. Yeah, uh, that was one incident. I, I didn't, and I didn't mean to be showing pictures of your family while you told that horrific story. Oh, All okay. these people turned out okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None these of these are guys. All people. There, there's a picture. Got my dad, sister, brother, brother, brother. You know, I'm not in that one right there. Those are all older. I, I believe that was before I was born, or I was not able to go to the amusement park yet. Yeah. So you were at home doing dishes. Yeah, that's my first birthday. That is one of two birthdays I do not remember. Huh. <laughs> so that's how good your memory is. Yes. Is it, once I you don't got, remember my zero birthday either. You, uh, you got past your second birthday, and you remember everything. After my third birthday, I'm solid. Okay. Yeah. For okay. some reason, um, kind of weird. Now that's payback again for my brother. Uh, even wow, back, you, yeah, you gave your brother the business, now, didn't you? No, he gave me so much crap growing up. I mean, pin you down, noogies, you know, the wedgies, yeah, the, uh, you name it, throwing bugs on me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, poor this, guy. Is, this is him as a young man, <laughs> uh, dressed up in my sister's dress and pretended to be a girl as a joke. Wow, but my mom snapped a picture of it and I kept it all these years just in case. Well, nowadays that would be totally acceptable. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, whatever he wants to be. There's me, kind of a little chubby cheek kid. <laughs> well, chubby looks kid. like I'm we'll getting ready to go something. I don't know what I'm doing in that one, but like you're ready little... to go pimping. Yeah, it's I don't know. Was that a pocket on the left? Dressed but... like a pimp. Yeah, yeah. So that that's just me as a little kid. Carpet stairs, and saxophone, little, little musician. Now we're getting in the territory where I remember that saxophone. That's right around that time when I started. Remember. Don't you don't you get like that? I think a lot of people are like that. I know I am. That there's there's certain toys that you yeah. remember from your childhood. You probably remember more than I do. But there were certain ones I remember in particular. Getting a, I was big into Power Rangers, and for one Christmas, Santa brought me a, um, a a saber, which was the weapon of the White Power Ranger. Okay, and it was, you know, it was a very simple toy. It may have made some sounds or something like this. Uh, and and I thought 
that that was just the best Christmas ever. Like that was that was the best gift I had ever received. It was nothing but a toy sword. Looking back on it, but I just remember being so elated having that having that toy. And there's a few others that I remember over time, but um, you know, yeah, it's just one of those things. Well, I mean, there was five of us, and we didn't have the Christmases were not monstrous. Okay, right. I mean, I'm talking we were cheap living, uh, but we weren't hungry either. It was just, you know, if you put something on your plate, you better eat it. Right. You know, kind of thing. So, and it was very structured. Um, something that kind of sets the tone for later on, though, that happened when I was young was uh, at one time my mom freaked out and uh, she ended up throwing away all of our video games. I experienced the whole Commodore 64 floppy disk to Intellivision at one time, Atari type thing. Yeah. Well, she threw away all of our video games. She was stuck every day. She watched the 700 Club with Pat Robertson. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar too much about. Oh that, yeah. But religiously watched it. She was Christian. I went to church growing up. Good times. But one day we, you know, got home and all the toys are, are donated or given away, and we had all the big Star Wars dolls and. You know, all, all of our Intellivision games and everything. And the only game she kept, she kept the console in the game. And the only game she kept was one that she played, Burger Time. That was it. That was <laughs> so only, she actually played one. She taught me all about hypocrisy at the very beginning. Yeah. But the the electronics, the gadgets were the devil to her. Um, she All thanks to Pat Robertson. Yes. When I was seven, she grabbed me by the shoulders and she looked me dead in the eyes and she was like, one day the TV's going to be looking back at you, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, mom's lost it. She's crazy. Yeah. You know, but there's been a lot of things she's kind of, you know. She, she called that she, one she out, like didn't decades she? ahead of the time, you know. She's like, now, now you, not only is a TV watching you, but you are willingly carrying the TV around with you as it monitors every aspect of your life. Yeah. She was the first one to ever tell me that history is only what the winners want you to think it was. Well, that turned out to be true as yeah, well. Did I it? mean, kind of ironic, but she did make that statement. To How about me. that? But uh, I saw a UFO in the backyard. This is we're still childhood. Yep, childhood. Growing up. I was six years old. I went in the backyard. This would have been about uh, mid June. It was days after my birthday. We were on summer vacation, and it was just get, got dark outside. And I was getting right ahead in, and I looked up and out in the corner of the sky, clear as day. I saw a round UFO with lights at the bottom. Never told anybody about this, you know. Uh, but were you that type of kid, though? Did you just, all these things happen, you just kept it to yourself? I thought of every which way that a man could possibly make something to make it look like that. Uh, but I was a little kid, and I didn't tell any of my friends. You know, you go to school, hey, I saw a UFO, guys. Duh. You, you know? get beat up and thrown in but the trash can. For all I know, it was some guy doing a trick on the public. Uh, even to this day, you can go back and research the day and even the year. I've done it. Just There was lots of reports on a UFO in that exact county at the exact time that I saw it that I remembered. And, uh, so you actually knew, knew down, remembered down to the day oh yeah. you saw it. Yeah, I remember because my birthday had just happened, and then it was a few days after that. I don't like to give exact dates. All right. But um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember wow. Claire's day, but there was time, you know, I, I just didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody about a lot of stuff, you know, but that was the only time I've actually firsthand seen something that was not normal in the sky. That Well, some uh, of that stuff, I mean, you know, I, I realize we're only so far with with uh, your, your your games being thrown away, watching a girl get killed, seeing UFOs, and you're not telling anybody about this. Like, most people, that would cause them to be, like, get, go crazy. 
Well, you know, like I have stayed, a middle breakdown. What made me sane was was just the structure and and all the chores and you know, anytime you'd ask dad for something, he'd be like, "Save your money," you know, or he'd give us projects to do to try to earn it or. Uh, whatever you know you need money go mow this down the street that didn't really happen until we get to the st louis side of things but um you know yeah the girl dragged by the horse that i almost forgot like completely forgot about that for a while just because it was just like so much shock right uh and even my buddy we never even talked about it we were just like dude yeah when you don't even tell your friends about it yeah do do you ever think there was something wrong with you that kept you from telling people about it maybe the thing that I remember the full video, like it's in my head, like like the terabytes are there. The full video, high definition. Were you were and you I, afraid of? The worst part about the whole thing, it wasn't really the sight. It left a big tr- dried stained tr- trail of blood that was there for even a few days afterwards. They couldn't get it out of the concrete because uh-huh. it was hot outside. It was the summertime. I, I just remember the sound that the gallop of the horses was the main, like in my head, because I was just so shocked. And then it was the head hitting the ground as it was... Going around the corner, around wow. the street. Yeah, like it was just like, whoa. That's traumatizing. But, you know, when you're, what are you going to do? But um, I didn't even tell my mom. I mean, I think my mom was like, did you see that? You know, it was just kind of like, it just happened. Right. So anyway, that, that's one thing. Um, trying to think of anything else important in Cleveland, really. It was just a great childhood. There's really, the 700 Club thing, my mom was just totally brainwashed i could see why i later on got brainwashed with some things but she truly believed all that stuff and she thought the tv would be looking back at us of course she's nuts everybody did Uh, did did that did that something is that something that persisted throughout her entire life was she always that way she always questioned things um you know, like I, I feel like I'm really prying now and i'm figuring out how tony why tony is the way he is I, i remember going to her to we did the hands across America thing in the early eighties, uh, on the highway, right. That went through Cleveland to mm-hmm. Chicago and across America. And around that time, I remember she took me to vote with her. She went and voted for Reagan in the 84, uh, election with Mondale and all that. Right. Um, you know, Reagan and, uh, George Bush. But uh, anyway, so we did that thing. She, she taught me just kind of like American spirit, I guess. And not to believe everything that I, I saw, she was a big JFK conspiracy. She believed that either the CIA or something else was involved in his killing. And she never accepted the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman, let alone a gunman in the situation. She firmly did not believe in it. And this is what's crazy is that back then for people to 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 look at things in that way, yeah. That was not normal. Like you, you didn't have the internet. You, you didn't have Google. You didn't have Infowars or Gateway Pundit. You, you just. She was relying on gut feelings. She really was, and it was almost like she had a foresight into the future, and she thought for herself. And you know, she'd see the news or something would be happening, and she'd kind of, you know, hey son, I wonder what they're up to. When the ch- I was at home sick the day that the Challenger blew up in the sky from school right okay so after the challenger blew up uh you know she was like oh my god and and later on that afternoon i was at home sick like literally sitting next to her on the couch and she leaned forward i remember looking at her face and she goes i wonder if they knew that one was gonna happen 
And I was just like, I, I didn't even know, you know, okay, you know, how would they not know? Why would anybody want to blow up anything? Right. You know, but she even went as far as to even, you know, well, I'm sure it's just what it is, but she questioned everything just because I think she had caught a few lies along the way. And then she was the one to tell me about the history, huh. you know, never to believe it, you know, what, you know, things like that. Right. So that mm. kind of set the tone for things later, you know, after her death, when I started going on my, my, uh, my deep dive to figure out what the heck was going on in this world. I'm starting to understand why Tony is the way he is. Cause Tony's, you're, you're a very, you're a very unique individual. And, uh, what you're, what you're describing to me is what I would view as a mirror image. Yeah. Of you. I got to try to stay away from politics cause this is more about what I've learned, but that's that set, that set the Whatever. tone for everything. And, uh, you know, she, she taught me about a lot of stuff and she showed a lot of love. And, and she, the main thing is, is she was healthy the whole time I was in Avon Lake. She was a smoker. She smoked cigarettes, but we'll get to that later. Most of our um, parents did. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I mean, I know my dad even asked her doctor. Uh, he told me later that if she, or she'd, she'd be able to smoke when I'm in the womb. And he said it was perfectly fine. <laughs> so I think that might've maybe set things up for me for later to have uh, caffeine and nicotine uh, sort of things. Oh, yeah. But, this is one of these, uh, one of these CNN doctors. Yeah. Just mow one down while you're, while you're pregnant. Yeah. And, and also <laughs> the I, Sanjay Gupta told her that <laughs> all, the, all the little things too, I picked up from my father, uh, just how he conducted himself uh, he, when he would take me to work when I was a little kid, uh, his dad owned a chemical company and, you know, long story, but I'd go to work with this man. I'd be a young boy. And it was like everywhere where we walked, everybody like, you know, Hey, Hey doc, how you doing? Yes, sir. And everybody's trying to look sharp. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, you know, to go I was like, dang, you know, like my I, dad's important. Yeah. We went, to, I remember he took me to this house and he goes, he's like, yeah, let's go up there real quick. And we're up this upstairs house and there's this family that lived there and all that. And he's like, I got to check on something real quick. And that was my first experience. Well, my dad had a rental. I, you know, I didn't know what that was. Like, right. My dad's checking, do it, looking over his rental property. Wow. You know, hmm. but yeah, he didn't lose or make money on that particular one that I he took me to. But he was but. a smart guy. He did he he tried to do things the right way and it resulted in him was I mean was he ultimately a successful yeah, he, he was successful with what he was trying to accomplish. He wasn't trying to become a bazillionaire. He wasn't trying to start companies. He was just trying to raise five kids. Right. Uh, you know, so put him underneath a lot of pressure. My mom was a handful. Um, you know, I mean, she'd be at, she was a housewife. She stayed home and I, that helped with the structure. It wasn't like we got home from school and we just went bonkers and did whatever we wanted. Mom was there and, uh, you know. She was just kind of, uh, she had her thoughts about certain things, but the love was there. Great childhood. And if I didn't have that initial structure from the first years of my life, it wouldn't have helped me surpass later on things in life. I would have never been able to overcome right. uh, some things that I went through. I probably would have just uh, given up, uh, as I say. But um, it was the initial structure, the chores, the the discipline, the, you know, yeah, you would get spanked if you were out of line. No, you don't disrespect your parents, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that's so true, and and I often think about that as well. In in where parents today, including myself, we fail on so many fronts. I, I mean, I try to do what's right most of the time, but you know, you, you're a 
you know, it, it's it turns out to be a generational thing. You know, the the sir, the parenting gets passed down from parents to to parents to parents to parents, and so, and as time goes on, it, there's more leniency that's added in, yeah. and it comes from this frame of mind of, of parents thinking, oh well, you know, my life was tough in in this way, and I want to make sure that my kid doesn't have to deal with it, and that ends up transforming into this. Uh, lack sort of structure, lack of structure, if you will, and it ends up doing a disservice to the kids. Again, I'm guilty of it. There's many of you that are listening to this are probably guilty of it as well. Um, I try to concentrate at least on the core things, core values, how you treat people, yep. working hard, all uh, you know, chasing your dreams even, uh, and respecting people. But, you know, there are also times where I'm like, I wish I had even had you know three more kids that I could create this little army that does chores for me all the time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that would mean, be nice. But I mean, you're right. Generations change, and people have gotten a lot softer. Um, the language has changed a lot. Yep. I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, it wasn't like you know, Dad, don't spank me. I'm going to call Child Protective Services. If I would even said that, oh my God. Or go you know? to your dad and be like, what do you want, brah? Yeah. Like these kids do now. <laughs> there was one time my brother Tom, the guy that was wearing the dress, uh, he challenged my father. That that goes out. Oh, this is later on, but uh, he was kind of rebelling. And at the dinner table one night, oh my God, he, he stood up and he said, you know, come get some to oh, my dad. No. Oh my God. Yeah, talk oh, about anxiety. No. That, that was like my first uh, teenage, like at the dinner table, all of a sudden something didn't go right. You've been a great brother, Tom. It was good to know you. Yeah. See, he, ran, he ran. I mean, my dad chased out. He took off. I went out of the house. He was just, he challenged. He wanted the challenge. Yeah. And I get that. People challenge along the way. And we had to witness that too to see what happens when you challenge. Yeah. So. So you go through, you have very structured childhood. Yeah. Um, great parents. Unique parents, but great parents nonetheless that did the yep. right thing in raising you, tried to do the right thing and oh, yeah. providing for the family and yeah, all that kind of stuff. They were more worried about their kids than themselves. That's for sure. So what happens in your later years, whether that's high school or even after that? Kind of well, give me some backstory Yeah, so on we moved from Cleveland to St. Louis. I'm eight years old. I grew up there. Um, a lot of love in St. Louis. Uh, lots of learning. I, that's That's really the core of who I am was that place. Um, you love St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, I, d I did. I still do certain parts of it, but um, it's changed a lot, certain areas of it. I was on the east side of the river, on the Illinois side, in a town called Belleville, mm -hmm. Illinois. Uh, it's like 40,000 people roughly now. Um, you wouldn't want to live in Ferguson today? No, no. <laughs> uh, you know, just because of all the crime. Right, right. But... Um, no, I mean, you know, whatever. And it was it was a melting pot of an area. It wasn't like as far as like ethnicity and, and religion and race and all that stuff. It was just like a little melting pot and everybody got along. Everybody and like, treated each other normally. Like, yeah, that's what that's the way America used to be. Yeah. So, I mean, that, it started out great when I first moved to St. Louis, third grade, fourth grade. You know, Cardinals are winning. I've talked about it on your radio show before, and I didn't want to talk about it too much here. But, yes, uh, my grandfather was good friends with Whitey Herzog, the um, coach of the Cardinals in the 80s, Hall yeah. of Famer. Um, so I got to meet him a bunch. I got to meet a bunch of players. I got to go into special places. 
I got to get autographs. I got to, you know, it was kind of just whatever. I had players giving me piggyback rides at one point. Um, the stolen, in fact, the stolen base champ of the eighties, Vince Coleman, uh, him and Tim Raines. I don't want to get too much into baseball, but that, that was really cool. And I, I went to school and told my friends about that the next day and they didn't want to hear it for some reason. They didn't like the fact that you, you finally, you finally opened up and started telling friends about experiences well, you were I, having. It got so bad. I had to like show a picture one time because <laughs> yeah. they were calling me a liar. Yeah. You know, they were just like, yeah, this Sunday I went to this cookout, you know, and guess who I saw, you know, and they're like, who would I tell them? And you know yeah, no you didn't you and i'm didn't. like no i really did i swear <laughs> you know but that that wasn't that bad um I, I i really didn't get any static i guess in the st louis area until um I, I did all sports okay every every season i didn't grow up playing video games it was like you go outside and you play in the dirt you're playing kickball you're, you're riding your bicycle uh you're you know and if there's something wrong with your bicycle you got to fix it. You know, it was right. like independent. My dad was mm -hmm. like, all you're going to be independent. That's great. I, I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and nobody, you know, if so, I dropped something, my mom wasn't picking it up. Right. It's like, get it, you know? Nice. <laughs> so, but yeah, getting back, you know, St. Louis was good. Uh, all when I think of there, I think of sports immediately in my head, basketball team, baseball, played some tennis, uh, track. I was a sprinter, not long distance. I hated long distance. I tried it. The, don't I'd rather not do it. I'd rather be homeless than be a long distance runner. Uh I just those people are remarkable. Right. Um uh and that helped me out later on in life with teamwork, doing all those sports. Mm -hmm. uh, I, of course, I have those moments in my head. If you, if you're into sports, you know what I'm talking about. Like baseball's my my favorite like passion because of my upbringing and my grandfather and all that and playing catch with my dad, you name it. I loved it. Loved it. But there's always that one hitter, that one catch, you know, uh, net, I mean, just any, nobody forgets those moments. Right. So all those like stand out in my head, you know? Yeah. It's just every time, you know, but I look at baseball, I use baseball as a way to look at life. You can, you know, use it as an analogy. Um, you know, you go to bat every day, you, you know, sometimes you swing and miss, but guess what? You get to go back up to, you know, to hit, uh, you get another chance. There's always another game. You know, every good pitcher has a slump. That's you know? that. That's one thing that's great about sports is, you know, one, there's inspirational stories within sports, but sports can be such an analogy to life in the sense of there, there's life lessons around every corner when it comes to sports. And, and, and it's something that brings everybody together so it can be useful. It's in my situation, it's one of the one of the top ways that P. Diddy and myself bond is over Tennessee sports, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it literally is such a good thing. And it, it, it's frustrating to see society and even politics trying to ruin it now, which, you know, can be another discussion for another day. But that's right. exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to take away all your joy. Yeah. So the sports was very important. That helped me out. And uh, the structure helped out. My mom got sick. You know, everybody knows the story. She smoked cigarettes. It was just downhill. So I had to go through all of that. And that kind of made me act up a little bit. I never got in any, like, true trouble. I wasn't, like, arrested. I wasn't out causing damage. It was just more like uh, uh, just doing what I had to do enough in school just so that when my mom, it didn't upset my mom. 
if that makes sense. Right. Like, uh, I had siblings that there was a valedictorian in my family, Rob, uh, he graduated and, uh, got number one in his class. And our classes were like, um, 800, 700 kids in one class. Jeez. Like it was a big school, you know, there was at least 2,500 kids that went to my high school. Uh, it was a, it was a major, major thing. I think I graduated with 50 people. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated. That's with a big a, class. Maybe six or seven hundred. You know, I looked at the class picture and I just kind of did the math, and I'm like, not everybody's even in the picture. You know, mm. so um, so there was a lot of competition. I, I grew up. Competition was a thing. Being the youngest, and I, I never went to the same school as any sibling. They were all older than me. So anywhere we went somewhere, it was like, is Tony tall enough to ride the ride? Is Tony old enough to do this with it? You know. So I always felt like I had to keep up. And that motivated me to where when I got into sports and things like that later, I did well with people that were my age because I was always trying to play with kids that were older than I was. Right. Um, so that benefited me greatly. Uh, and I got to learn from their mistakes. Um, I will get certain things in life. Uh, smart people learn from their own mistakes, but geniuses learn from their own and then everybody else's. Yeah. So that's important. That is. But uh, I always try to look at other people's mistakes and learn from that, too. Um, keys to life. That can save you a lot of heartache down the road. Yeah, if you don't pay attention, like so-and-so, ah, I'll try the same thing. You're yeah. wasting your time, man. I quit standing in line to touch the freaking stove, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I went, you know, school there. School's fine. Uh, I had those articles I sent you. Uh, one thing that hit me, the first time I ever got... Like I was in the news a couple, like a couple times, but there was one time I, I won this like chess tournament with this team. Yeah, there, there it is. So I'm in the seventh grade. I was, I was a sports nut. All my friends were baseball, soccer, you know, you know, that whole sport people. And, uh, this kid asked me to play chess with him. Now that's the internet business we did after that. The top left one is the chess one. So this kid asked me to play chess with him one day in school. I was just started the seventh grade. And I was like, I don't know how to play. Well, he taught me. Uh, Carl was his name. He taught me in like a few days just to how the how the uh, pieces moved. Well, I got really fascinated with that uh, for some reason. I, I found it uh, interesting that all the just these little pieces on so many squares, you know, so I, all the multiplications there in my head, you know, I got moves memorized all the way to the end. Um the strategy behind it it was so competitive these people went nuts about chess you know you go to a chess club and uh all my baseball i was trying to hide it from them you know i'd like to stay after school and go to the chess club hang out and then i play these guys and my goal was to beat these guys at chess because i didn't like the fact that the kid beat me you know right so i got real competitive with it i'm like oh, okay i don't like this so i started studying chess and then next thing you know i have my first chess video game and i'm trying to beat chess master you know and all this stuff and and again let me let me just point this out when you're trying to learn how to play chess which is an incredibly tough game to learn not learn but be good at right right um you you're not just looking up a youtube video oh, and no. having some sort of tutorial by a guy that's really good at it like you're having to deep dive you're probably reading chess yeah. books at the library and all kind of stuff i didn't have time to be uh um scared of asking like i straight up went to the chess team guy the the coach and i was like look you know i'm busy with sports and all this but i, I want to do this chess thing i, I want to learn how to play and his name was mr wamser 
And uh, he died of a heart attack, by the way, when I was in high school. Mm. Poor guy. Uh, good guy. Um, he let me come to the chess things after class, and I started mingling with the people just because I was curious and I wanted to learn how to get good. And it just went off from there. It didn't take long. I mean, yeah. Within like six months, I went to that first tournament. That, that's about five months after I started this playing This right chess. here? Yes. I was the number one guy on the team the first year I was in it. And at that tournament, I went four and one. I lost to this one kid. His last name was O, H, or O-H. And it was from MG School. Okay. I remember his face and everything. But he had me there at the end. And I didn't like that at all. I didn't lose again the next year, not one time. <laughs> yeah, that's the I, most I beat, Tony thing ever. No, too. nobody beat me at chess in my eighth grade. Yeah, uh, when wow. I went to high school, it got different. There was some real, real competitive, right? Place. And and that's when you get you're rated and you get your your numbers in. And did you start to back off at that point? Well, I backed off once I got to a certain point where it got to be if I'm going to go any further, because um, I was rated. They like I got a trophy for being top unrated player for at this tournament one time as a solo you know not yeah. a team thing and out of all these people that weren't rated i got number one well next thing you know they want to slap a rating on you so then you're they slap a rating on you like a thousand or 900 or something uh it's it's it, you'd have to look it up to see how they rate it but it's almost like people you know for you meet a chess player and you're like you know how you don't say how long you've been playing what kind of moves do you like you say what's your rating that, yeah. that's how that's how that language went so I'd show up at these tournaments, people would say, what's your rating? Um, well, my rating got high enough. Uh, I don't want to say it, but I went to this high school meet and I went to this tournament and I told people, uh, they were like, what's your rating? And I had to report it at that point. It was like 1300 something, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And um, I started looking at the charts uh, about how they scaled it all off. And I, and I started seeing all my competition and I got into that one it was a high school match over in the west side of St. Louis. These people were so competitive. With the, I mean, I didn't want to go home every night and play chess until I went to bed and then start the day over. You know, I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to, right. you know, learn other things. So that's when I kind of dropped it off. I was like, look, there's no future in it. Who's going to make money? Uh, you know, I'm like, this is just not profitable. So you leave chess. Yeah. And then what's next? Uh, after, well, there was chess, there was baseball. I was kind of doing lots of stuff at once. Okay. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, learning about other things. Uh, my dad was teaching about cars and things like that. Oh, there, there's the internet thing. That'll, that'll come a little later, but, uh, I'll kind of skip, I guess my first job, I'll tell you about that, but it was at a Hardee's. I was fry boy. I was in the back my first day on the job and I'm putting fries in the pan, you know, and you're supposed to salt the fries. Right. And, uh, that was the first time I ever got yelled at in the job was I didn't salt the fries. I put the fries up. Manager was watching me. I didn't salt the fries. And then I learned my first day at work, what not to do with a brand new hire. Mm -hmm. That was my first experience of learning from somebody else's mistake. Yeah. She took it. She went at me the wrong way. And then I wondered, then I started to realize why that particular Hardee's had high turnover. But I wasn't going to let that get to me. I decided to be the best damn worker there. Right. I, I immediately, I was like, okay, you're going to play that game with me? <laughs> I figured out how to make her job tough. I was putting up stuff so fast to the point months later, I'm like the lead supervisor in the back before I was even 18. And we it was a busy Hardee's uh, in this place. And uh, I was, you know, I was trying to mess her up to the point to where, what are you doing? You know, and, and I was this young kid and I was right. cocky. 
you know, eh, but I learned so much at that job. I, I worked for my dad at his chemical place. I got a lot of production experience, forklift driving before I was 18. I can say that now, you know, just You're little right. things, make mistakes. Uh, I saw my dad, you know, managing like dozens of people, like you know, 40 people on the schedule, whatever, this plant. Uh, lots of experiences with that. And that was the first time my dad ever yelled me at, at the job. I called him dad one time in front of someone and oh man, you know, that was bad. I, I just love the straight laced business Good of Lord. your dad. I mean, he, he flat out just like, he grabbed my shirt and he was like, it's doc. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you better watch your mouth boy. Yeah, And it, cause he didn't want me to be the, the guy's son. So you, you know? work, you work for your dad for a little bit and yeah. then, then what's after that? Yeah, then Hardee's, and then there was this other chain, Fazoli's, uh, where I, uh, Italian food, mm. and, and then there was also Papa John's, where I was a manager for that. I did management all- So a good bit of food After industry. Hardee's, once I got out of Hardee's, and then did the Fazoli's Italian thing, that was all management after that. Right. I never looked back as far as go and punch in and do what they're t you know told. I was more of a leader, and right. I think the sports played a lot into that. I just happened to naturally, oh, like, okay, guys, here's the objective. Here's what we got to do. Yeah, you know, I just naturally knew how to do it, and people taught me along the way how to do schedules, how to make budgets, all those things I learned. Um, that other news article up there, that's the other uh, article that was bad. Okay. Um, when I say that there was negative effects, that chess article, I got a lot of static from my friends when I play baseball. Why is that? Because uh, well, you were spending I, your energy, time and energy on chess. No, no, it was different times, man. These guys, you just had to know these guys. You were a nerd for playing chess. Is that I, what they were saying? I remember specifically playing, uh, baseball on a practice and I hit a triple and I slid into third and I was safe. And when I got up, uh, the third baseman was just like, man, that was almost checkmate. Uh -huh. And I'm just like, God, here we go. You know, oh, yeah, like yeah. They, So they'd always give you little jokes and um, kind of tease you about it. You know, go play off your nerd friends, you know. Uh, but this article in particular is what? That, that was negative. It was good. I mean, so we after I got into management, my mom was really sick. I was getting desperate because he was, he was get, getting ready to die. And I might for some reason, I went a little psychotic. I thought that I needed to figure out some way to make enough money to save her. Okay. Right. I don't know. And why. you're what, what age this time? Uh, 21. Okay. 20, 21. I'm 21 in that picture right there. So I just got this wild thing and I put it all out on the table. I'm like, I, I was managing the pizza place, the Papa John's. And there was this kid in town that, uh, started this inner, he didn't start the internet company. He had an idea for an internet company and I got pitched the idea and I did some thinking about it. I'm like, I think we might have something here. And then it spiraled into chaos. I'm talking like overnight within a matter of a couple months, I'm going from being a manager of pizza place to quitting my job, to putting a suit on, to going coast to coast. Um, getting going to investor meetings um going up in tall buildings in st louis into law firms and then having people want to get my time and what's this product that you're pitching it, it was a long it, it, we owned about 550 domain names they were all attractive urls and they it was before you know how there's like dot com dot net dot mm -hmm. gov 
well, this was before it was like dot TV dot us dot other. That's what you guys had owned. We, we got a bunch of the dot AT and a bunch of the dot TO, but mainly the dot AT, which is for, I believe Austria. That's their, uh, that's uh, their.com. Right. Right. But we were spelling out like a phrase for people to use it for like an advertising, almost like a cars.com slash eBay, like advertisement classified things instead of back in the old days when people would look at the classifieds in the newspaper and then you'd call about a car and then you'd have to go look at it and mm-hmm. things like that. We were making it to people for free. You could just put their stuff up and get their info and then get an attractive URL. Like one of the, we owned a bunch of, de- of like details at details dot at there was my car for sale dot at, and then you would spell it out, and it came out to be this really like attractive idea. A lot of people were sold on it. So, so uh, you were selling the the site. You were selling the URL. How did you acquire the URLs in the first place? We acquired the URLs because okay. So looking at that picture, the guy in the middle, his name is uh, Jason. I'll just say that much. Um, so he is the one that initially came up with the idea. The guy on the left is still a friend of mine. His name is Tony as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, the handyman. In fact, the maintenance guy for the shop, uh, whenever he comes into town, he still is in the same. And Louis that's area. you on the right. Correct. That looks nothing like you. Yeah. Man. Well, I was 21 and I was pretty for a picture. I don't like pictures. I don't <laughs> take pictures. I don't like to... what happened was is a story got out about, us, excuse me. And we're on the news one day on a local ABC affiliation in the morning and they came out to the place and I'm live on TV and they're like interviewing me. And then this other newspaper uh, called me up wanting to do an interview with us and they couldn't find a picture of me anywhere and they wanted to take all of our picture. So we agreed to it. We're like, okay, well we go and it turns out to be this interview thing. And then they totally write it out like this was my first time in my life I was ever actually part of some fake news. Okay. Like I experienced firsthand my life was, you got to understand folks, this is where I grew up. Okay. Right. All my friends, big, hometown paper, everybody, you know, Hey everybody. So I didn't necessarily want people knowing to this extent, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't that fact. It was like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this, but it was the fact that they made the story so much more extravagant than it was supposed to be, and it was just for, you know, they put it on the front page of the business section. So in, in this article, they were basically explaining your business that you guys yeah. had come up with, but right, you feel like that they they didn't accurately well, portray it, but they portrayed it bigger than it was, and then that rubbed you the oh, wrong way? Oh, mu- so much so to the fact that, yeah, we had an offer on the table for all the names and then the idea for $3 million, okay? That's a fact, okay? Okay. Uh, we didn't take it. We should have. But either way you slice it, uh, we had that offer, and then when she made the article out, she knew about that offer, which we told her in detail, and then she quoted us as saying $300 million. So then, oh, geez. yes, yes, Back it then, says, 300 million dollars in that article. Okay, so wow, yeah, Ali, I mean, it that's just the start of it. There's other things that kind of twisted it and it made it seem so much bigger than it was supposed to be. See, the idea was they had they had the the, the website, but it wasn't fully functional, it wasn't ready to operate. So, we tried to get it operating, and then we decided to sell it to somebody who would operate it and then own all the domains, and that was the goal. So, I ended up being the seller. And and that ties into some other things. So um, so you were just just to kind of of uh, wrap this one up. I was you, like the Elon Musk of that 
of that internet site. I was trying to take something like Elon Musk didn't invent Tesla. Right. He came along and saw an opportunity and then he tried to make it big. Okay. That's what I tried gotcha. to do with that. And it was a desperation move on the account of my mother, because honestly, if she wasn't sick and dying and I didn't see her in, in a bed every day, I probably wouldn't have had the motivation to try that. Right. But I still, I'm glad I did it all because I learned so much you can't even you can't even make this stuff up. Well, I just I just see the picture you know, and and how young you guys are and even three million being in a position that early on where like now it's it's so easy to just grab ideas from all over the place because everything's so accessible or and you've got so many people say online copying other people and yeah. just stealing their ideas to be able to come up with that which you obviously had to do on your own and you didn't steal that idea from somebody else. Uh, it's pretty astonishing. Well, see, the three million—I wouldn't have gotten three million dollars even after taxes. It's so much, and then everybody had to split it up, and then there was right. people that had investment in it. Uh, in fact, one—I got to tell you—during that whole uh, episode, I met this rich guy. I started hanging out with his name was Lou Mund out of Columbia, Illinois. The guy was worth well over fifty million bucks, full compound, full everything, gate sensors you i mean if you arrive to his house he knows about it well ahead of time uh because he'll probably know your body temperature and this is back in the late 90s you mm -hmm. know he was set up and he owned the golf course and he was yeah all, all the land off the mississippi river there by st louis he like leased out to these barge companies so he's getting them these monthly payments right so he sets up as i found out later as some of what of a prank he got such a kick out of this he liked me a lot he took me around on his motorcycle and showed me all of his businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, he set up this pitch meeting for me where he brought in, there was, let's see, 16 FBI agents uh, to pitch this business. And before we were riding up to these FBI agents at, at his uh, farm thing that he owned, uh, he said, well, you're the president of the company. And just know that there's that for anything ever illegal happens that you're the one that's going to go down. He said that to me like a minute before we walked in, <laughs> oh, and I found out that they were all FBI agents. Wow. Now, yes. what was it? I'm trying to understand. What he was hung the, out with FBI agents all but, the time. But he wanted you to pitch it to them just to they, get, see if the FBI agents would tell him, hey, it's good or it's not? Because of that news article right there, that's what set off a firestorm around the area. Like, they wanted I had to old know. friends of mine. Come, like, they, they were interested in investing and getting in early, so they got... A hold of Lou because Lou knew me and Jason. It was Jason's uh, like uncle type person. So anyway, talking on the microphone. So <laughs> all right, John Bird. Yeah. So I show up and right before we're in Lou's Jeep and he said, uh, "Yeah, just so you know, all these guys are all FBI or retired." And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, yeah, yeah, so just look sharp. I'm like, okay. Mm. So I go in there, and they're all looking sharp, and I'm dressed down from what they look like, and I'm like, okay, here goes. And he had just said that to me, and I'm like mm. looking around the room. There's a and, lot of pressure. And then I found out uh, a few months later that somebody had actually called a previous teacher of mine and asked about me and, and what kind of a student I was mm. and all this other stuff. That's, that's very FBI type stuff right but there. But it wasn't in a negative. It wasn't like they were trying to dig up for dirt. It was just like they were trying to research me. Wanted to see what they were getting yeah, into. Yeah, and I think the other guys might have had the same type of thing. I don't know. Probably. But, yeah, so there was that. Uh, learned, went out to San Francisco with those that crew. Silicon Valley. I, I got to meet these rich people in Silicon Valley. Uh, oh, man money like you wouldn't believe uh there was 
we went to this one business meeting where there was so much money sitting in that room to where when people went up to make their pitches, it was actual leaders of like cities, like the, the mayor of Cleveland was there. And, and, uh, there was some other mayor there, uh, from a different state, different, different city. And they were all trying to get money for their area. Okay. We're talking like millions and millions of dollars. And there was the dot com people. Yahoo was there. Um, you know, and it was like this super event and I'll never forget it. Just all the limousines and just the looks. I mean, these people, mm. unbelievable, man. So I was mingling with people like that for a little bit. So where, where does that situation come to an end? Uh, that came to end. Well, basically, um, this drapes into another thing. This gets a little dramatic, traumatic. That news article spiraled a lot of things for me. Uh, it made me kind of, some friends got a little weird. There was... Uh, resentment. There was some people that were jealous, you know, when I didn't really want, when, uh, the, I was the, just trying to get enough money. Well, to, when there know. was $300 million number floating out there, yeah. people start treating you different. Yeah. And I told him, no, no, that's false. And, and even if it's 3 million after taxes, it's only so much. And then I only get a certain percentage. And even after that, there's, you know, and then they feel like you're BSing them and it right. just gets all awkward. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. They don't, they didn't, I didn't even really fully understand. I was young, but I, I learned so much from that. It, it's almost like somebody that, uh, is middle lower class they hit the lottery hit the hit the the mega millions or powerball you know yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden they're like even though you didn't even have the money or you haven't won the money via lottery ticket you were getting that treatment and they were thinking you know i, I they were no longer genuine it was about Oh, this guy's got a lot of money. Well, it, it also spiraled into something bad, too. My uh, grandmother's friend, um, his name's Skip. It's not his real name. I won't say it on the air, but make a long story short. Uh, he caught wind of this Internet thing, and I had a, a meeting in, in Atlanta. I was meeting with the head of strategic relations of WebMD, okay? His name was Mike Heakin. This would have been 2000, okay? And so I go out to meet Mike Heakin and this guy, Skip, who had known my grandmother for 40 years, somehow gets a hold of me and he lives in the Atlanta area. And before that, I had helped him. He uh, he was a gay man. He had AIDS or something and he had a life insurance policy. And I forwarded him to someone that would help him get money now for his life insurance policy that hadn't whatever yet, because basically he said he was going to die. Okay. So I helped him get that at one point and he got his money and I saw that go through. Well, when I was in Atlanta, he invited me to his so-called house and I show up and he tells me the story about how he's going to inherit all these millions of dollars. And that as distant as mom's father was part of the steel industry giant, the Niedringhaus family. Uh, they're like Granite City Steel, U.S. Steel. In Granite City near St. Louis, that was a big steel hub. Right. Uh, lots of money, lots of names, you know, that you can drop around there and, and try to be someone. So this guy it, it turned out to be a big scam in the long run, but he even got fake documents and stuff. And, and there was a gag order on the, on the release of the money and he was owed all this money and he was going to give my grandma half, you know, and. So, but how did he drag you into that? I went to his place and he told me his problem and I was so desperate to try to help my mother that he was he was running out of his own personal money while he was waiting on the money he was supposed to get. Right. Okay. And I wasn't even that naive. 
I was like, well, okay. Well, know. well, you're you're somewhat blinded by your mother's situation, and if right, if I was he, desperate to figure out something, and I wasn't afraid to go bankrupt. And he, who you you have to assume that he's about to give your mom a lot of money that's going to really benefit her. You're like, okay, well, let me help this guy out so he can get to where he's giving my mother money. Yeah, and it was going to my grandma, not my mom. Or your grandmother. Right, yes, my grandma right. was going to get half, and we started doing figures and, and everything that we, you know, check out names and sure that matches up. And I did my little due diligence, and he brainwashed me, and he used God to do it. And I'm a religious guy, but... He'd say, just trust in God, it'll happen. Mm. I need another 2500 bucks. Trust in God, it'll happen. I There's need another $3,000. Somebody using that so, to, to so swindle. I'm trying to save my mom. I put up 20 30 k into this internet thing to mm. get these domains. I put up another 50 k uh, to skip. Yeah. 40 40 I guess. My, my aunt put up a lot, too, like thousands of dollars. And we basically treated him to a nice lifestyle and moving to Palm Springs um, where he could mingle with his friends there. And uh, and then the the truth finally came out because he moved in with my aunt. It's a, such a long, drawn-out story, but um, he made me lose a lot of trust in people. What ultimately um, happened to him? Uh, we let him go because what are you going to sue him for? Yeah. You know, I thought about maybe throwing him in the jail, but I don't want to throw anybody in jail. I was just... I just, you know, my mom was dying. I, I didn't know what else to do. I thought. So did he just, he just went out on his own and off into the sunset. Is he still alive? He could be. He might be. Uh, I, I don't, I just choose to just lesson learned. Right. You know, um, I've made mistakes before. I've had a friend use my name for his power bill because I felt bad his power got cut off. And yeah, he was paying his bill. And then I get a notice in my mail that uh, power never got paid for at all, even though I now that's on your credit stuff like that, yeah. which I won't bring up. But a lot of things you learn as you go, right? You know, because I had so much trust. I, I generally trust everybody until they lose it. Right but now, I watch what I do. Um, so the internet thing happened. Learned a lot. Mingled with a lot of important players, and then that didn't pan out. The skip thing didn't pan out. So I'm left there. My mother is literally like months away from dying. I had lost all hope. I'm like, okay. You're probably low on money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it got to the point to where I'm like, I either need to go back to work or I need to settle this thing with the internet and at least, you know, get out of it. So I got some money out of that to just get out. And then I went back to work. And then once I went back to work, I went back to Fazoli's. That was my favorite place to work before the internet thing happened. Right. So I went back there and um you know tried to make it and then of course there's people in town it's like oh big internet guy you know uh, what can i get for you you know kind of thing and yeah. you get a little bit of that but it only just built me stronger mm. you know so i just decided i'm just gonna go back into it i focused on work again i focused on management i had to file for bankruptcy because i lost everything i had and um that was totally on me. I was willing to do it. I, I've already read up on bankruptcy laws and it was, I don't want to say it was planned, but my plan was to make millions of dollars. So that way I could get mom like great treatment. I thought like money could save it, but even that wouldn't have done anything. And you got so close to it, but there, there was even, a couple even the of 3 million before all that at the very beginning wouldn't have been nearly enough. I mean, I was talking, I was wanting to, you know, I, I was going for everything. Right. Right. You know, um so so that that and that, i only own like a few percentage of that thing i would only had you know you can't right 
Well, you, you hit a wall and you're like, okay, I, I don't have a choice but to cash out and go back to work. You work in the restaurant industry until when? Yeah, I did that until I was 27. Okay. And then I moved to Florida. I needed the whole change of scenery. My mom had just died. I'd been depressed. She died. Uh, how old were you when she died? 25. 25. Yeah, so she died July of 2002. A couple years after that, you moved to Florida. Um, About three years. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half years. Okay. Three. Yeah. So... It was just because of a change of scenery. I was driving around town. I felt like a failure um, because, you know, I had to come to the realization that there was nothing I could do. And that was so hard to do at the beginning because I felt like I had so much control in my life. Well, everything everything you had done up to that point was to save your mom. And, and that didn't happen and you blamed yourself in a sense. Yeah, and but not directly. Just kind of like, you know, well... You know, now that I look back, I, I was just dumb and I just did, you know, I was just, it was almost like I was trying to go make all that money when I should have been there for her more. And and I was there for her more after I got out of the internet thing. The last months of her life, I was there like every minute I could be. Right. But your um, intentions were pure the entire time. Right. Though. And I never admitted it at the time. You know, she'd be like, why are you trying? Oh, mom, it's just this great idea. Yeah. You know, it's going to work. It's going to work. And so she was D- skeptical about everything. What was oh, her yeah. response to that stuff? I mean, what, you know, she ain't going to stop me. Right. You know, I was already <laughs> 18. So, um, you know, once I was 18, it was, that's it. You know, right, either right. pay rent or get out, you know, so. So you get down to Florida. Um, yep. You New career, new scenery, new everything. You start in the car wash business. Yes. I changed from food. I left food only because I liked food. However, I thought that only having one or two things good at later on in life would not be helpful. So you decided to, to career, yeah. boost the resume. I, I, I was real into cars. I liked washing my own car from time to time. And I'm like, I think this is something I would enjoy to do. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that, um, got into the management thing right away. In fact, I started never washed a car in my life, like professionally and started off as a manager with all these new people. And we, this was like busy car washes. We're not, we're talking like, you know, 30 employees, 40 employees at one time on a weekend with a big lot and cars just coming in and out the full service type thing. But we, and you're the person that, uh, if you are, if you're faced with something you don't know how to do, you go all in and you don't stop going all in until you know how to do it and do it well. And so you excelled very quickly in that. As that much industry. as possible. Yeah. I had to learn fast and it was mainly mechanics. Um, my boss at the time, when I first started Don, he even said to me, look, I'm not going to teach you how to manage. You know how to do that, but I will teach you how, how the car wash business is. And he did. Mm-hmm. I learned all about it. The equipment, the hydraulics behind it, so many things, the air pumps, the the RO systems for the water. So you quickly um, move into plumbing. that. Yeah, you, I do you're... all that. And then then I go to, uh, that. well, technically that was my last job like physical job. I did that for seven and a half years before I, I did the vape store with the wife. How, how many years in Florida? Uh, Florida was, um, you're in Tampa, Tampa area. Yeah. 2005. And I moved to Birmingham, uh, April fool's day of 2008. April fool's day. Yes. Um, so while you're in Florida, we'll, we'll do Florida for a minute and then we'll, yeah. we'll come to Birmingham. Um, yeah. You were since we're talking about sports, you employed a a, a person that uh, a lot of people yeah. in, in our radio listening audience would recognize as a 
former Alabama great Javier Arenas. Yes, that's right. Uh, of course, didn't know it at the time. Uh, Javier Arenas was a vacuumer for Grand Prix Car Wash off of uh, Gandy Boulevard in Tampa, Florida. He's in high school at the time. He's in high school, Plant High School. They won the championship two years in a row. Big time high school football yeah, player. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know if I... Sh- I wrote him up one time uh, for being late on a Saturday. So, of hey, course, we, I, I didn't even know who... You know, they were like... Oh, he's just a high school kid. Yeah. You know? And I, they, the guys at the, at the job were talking. They were like... Uh, you know, man, he's a really good football player. And I'm like, I don't care. He doesn't know how to vacuum. You know? <laughs> so so what was – so he was late to work one day. What did he say when he got there? No, he said it was football. And then his friends even confirmed it was football. But it was like two and a half hours. And you – like, I was like, no, nah, we got to document this, you know, because so, that was like structured rules, you know. So, so Javier so, Arenas, who literally becomes – he goes on to be a great NFL player. He, he's oh, yeah. late because of football practice uh, where he's playing for a champion team yes he's two and a half hours late which is not really acceptable in any situation let's be honest says it's football why he's late and tony's like that'll care about you up yeah yeah i think yeah he's supposed to be i'm 8 30 and he didn't show up until around 11 yes i mean that's pretty bad but you know you think he'd call call in or but something he was just you know, we had lots of kids on the weekends, and it was all adults during the week. And all know? the kids looked the same to you as, as far as, like, yeah, they're care. all employees. Either you're a good vacuumer or you're a good wiper <laughs> or you know how to do this. But I don't they, care about your stupid NFL career. Get yeah, in here. Well, Get in here all the time. I, I didn't know, but years later, this just happened, uh, you know, while I lived here. But I'm, I'm at a place, and I meet a couple guys that were ex-Alabama players, and we were talking, and they were like, oh, you own Vapor Forge? I'm like, yeah, my wife, and now. And I said, you know, funny enough, Javier Arenas worked for me. And they were like, no, and I told him the story. And then they kind of went off and we're talking amongst each other. And they come back and he's like, hey, I got somebody for you to talk to. And he pulls his phone around. And he's got Javier Arenas on a video call looking time. right at me. I'm like, oh, my God. That's so funny. He was like, what's up, Albers? Or, yeah, anyway. And, uh, yeah. Um, Thanks so, for writing me up, buddy. Yeah. Well, he did, we didn't even think about that. I was just thinking of the paper trail. Right. Uh, because I didn't realize the connection. Somebody pointed it out to me. Yeah. I didn't come to Alabama and be like, oh, Javier Arenas plays for Alabama. Right. You I had no idea. Yeah. I, I didn't even remember his last name. It was another manager that called me. Yeah. And he was like, can you believe Javier got that contract? I'm like, what contract? Who's Javier? Who's Javier? And he goes, Javier Arenas. And I go, from Alabama? The kickoff return guy? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that was the vacuum. I would go, nah. He said, yeah, that was him. And I'm like, whoa. And then it clicked. He was the football player, the running back from Plant High School. How about that? That they talked about. Well, and there was anyway. another situation with that particular car wash where you used to you used to see some pretty famous people come through that car wash. Okay, yeah, the the Florida car wash scene was like sick. I, I wish I wish I was a picture guy. I, I I remember them all in my head, but I should have taken pictures. But baseball players, hockey players, uh, all the local news people, um, movie stars. Uh, Good Lord, Kirstie Alley. I've talked to her. Uh, I don't even know where to begin, man. Um, well, let's just let's just narrow it down yeah, to yeah. one. Okay, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan. You were mentioning that at the beginning of the okay, show. Okay, that's a good one because there's a lot of stories. So I knew him and his son, uh, Bolia, their last name. They they had a beach house right down the street. Um, so his son Nick got in a bad car accident uh, one time, and the day before that happened was a Saturday, and we're 
out washing cars, he pulls up with a bunch of his friends and they had three separate cars and I drove his car, which was a yellow Supra. Uh, it was a stick shift. It was a sports car. So you had to be really careful with the clutch and everything or else, you know, it's a transmission. So I drove it onto the pad, uh, had the guys wash his car and then I drove it back out to the front of him. Oh man, I'm seeing that you got that car. Yeah. That's yeah, his car. That's him. So I mean, this, this just for those of you watching the Lord. video, this is the car that Tony's talking about. Yeah, and I, I drove that the day before that wreck. And then I saw Hulk Hogan on the road after the wreck when I heard about it because I went down the street to go look. So I drove that car and that thing was, a, he had like six speeding tickets before that. And I remember telling that kid, I said, man, you got to be careful out there. But he, I mean, as a person, super nice kid. I mean, he wasn't like all full of himself and this and that. And that other guy, John Graziano, that got hurt, uh, that picture of that guy right there, I met him too. He had a truck, a Toyota Tundra, or, or uh, it was gray. So just just to explain the story that people don't know, basically what happens is Hulk Hogan's son, Nick, yeah, uh, he's got this car, uh, and it, it was all over the news. It was headlines everywhere. He gets in a wreck because he's out there speeding or driving goofy or whatever. Yep. He's got his friend with him, who I believe is a Marine at the time. Yes. And that, uh, that friend getting in that car wreck with him, it paralyzes him for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not doing too well. And, and, and yeah. Nick Hogan gets injured as well. And so the, the reason it became a headline, not only because Nick Hogan, I, I think maybe they even had their TV show at that time, Hogan Knows Best. No, that was... Uh, right, right after? No, that was... Actually, they did. Yeah, yeah I think it was, it was going on before. The, no, it was it was going on before that because that kind of ruined the show, sort of. Okay, so uh, it, it's it was around that time. Yeah, and there's so much I learned about reality TV uh, from him. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway. So yeah, so like th this happens and it becomes a big deal and like the family and all that's wanting to sue the Hogan family for obvious reasons, not just. I mean, obviously, because their yeah. son got hurt, but there's also a lot of money involved on that front. And everybody was talking about it around that era because everybody knew. Hulk, I mean, he would go into Target and talk to everybody. Hulk Hogan was not, you know, he was a public guy. He reminded Very me of Charles. He reminded me of Charles Barkley because I know I've met him too, and I've in multiple occasions. And he just he likes talking to lots of people. You just so. briefly you beat Charles Barkley in pool one time, yeah, right? No, I don't want to rub that in, but yes. <laughs> You, uh, you ran the table on it. That was one time at um, the uh, place right down the street from the shop. Um, uh, da, da, court, da, da. Courtyard. Courtyard. Yeah. Courtyard 280. I played him. And uh, yeah, that was another thing I did. Yeah, I played pool, uh, bowling leagues there, darts. I was constantly busy. I never found myself at home watching TV on the couch eating chips. Well, to package all of that up, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, yeah, yeah. you were... You, you did all of those things, and you excelled like crazy. For instance, I've bowled, and I've played pool with you, and both of which, the first time we did it, you hadn't done it in a long time. Some case, some One of the cases, even years since yeah. you've done it, and you started off, and you, you looked kind of average, and then after one game, you looked like a professional bowler. You looked like a professional pool player, so I know, like... You're telling the truth about all these things you were great. You yeah. got trophies on your wall and, and plaques and all this stuff from pool tournaments you won. So you're the competitive nature that you learned from a young age all all bled into that. It bled into your work, your job. It was always and, and you, you you do it with me too. You you say, Hey, you know, do do things this way or 
you know, this, that, and the other in a constructive way, obviously. Yeah. But you've always been the type of person that is do the best you can do. And always look at all angles. Make sure you're you're taking the best path as yeah. well. So. I, even as far as thinking outside the box, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. That's true. You know what I mean? That's very true. So um, so we, we have, you, you, you. it's a star-studded time at the car wash in yeah, Tampa. Then lots you, of people. By the way, the biggest guys, the biggest nose I ever saw in my life was Ryan Howard, first baseman for the Phillies. The biggest nose? Yes. Dude, Willie McGee, this play, Cardinals player, he looked like an alien in person. Like me and you sitting yeah. there, like, I was like a kid, like, oh my God. You're like, hey, I saw you in my backyard as a kid. When he was up to bat, he looked like he was in pain. He just, huh. his face, Willie McGee, you can look it up. And then also, uh, uh, what was the one right before that I mentioned? Uh, the other player. Um, I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway. But you, you meet a lot of people, then you move to Birmingham what year? Uh, 2008, April Fool's Day is when I moved That's right. here. Yeah, and I started off on that car wash at 280 for a long time. What, what's the what's the status? Yeah, you were working at the Mister Mister Car Wash. Yeah, it, it was it was Car Wash headquarters. Uh, I believe called here uh, was the name of the car wash. Where where are you at? Okay, so but Mister Car Wash was my parent company that bought out all of the car washes, and then they all became. There was like you know hundred something car washes, oh, okay. hundred seventy something stupid. You where know? where are you at in life as far as when did you meet Amy? I met Amy in two thousand and eleven. Okay, this would have been late January. So you're I'm glad you, I know all this. You meet her because she's from Childersburg. You, yeah, you meet her after you get here. How do y'all meet? See that that was really weird. We met when I went to go play pool one night. Um, I wasn't supposed to be here all that long. I came here. The car wash moved me. Okay, I was in I was in Florida. Mister Car Wash came and bought off the Grand Prix car washes and then car wash headquarters which we had some locations in texas and then the locations here in birmingham there's also one in vestavia mm -hmm. there was then mr car wash came in bought everything had a meeting with me wanted me to move to alabama and help them transition the two stores here and then furthermore wanting to add more stores with it yeah so i was part of that plan but i wasn't supposed to be here forever it was just supposed to be a temporary thing. So the car wash industry brought you here. They asked okay. me to come here. I did not ask to come here. Right. But yeah, why would you want to leave Tampa to go to before 280? I, before I came to Alabama, I'd never been to Alabama. Right. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, raised in St. Louis and then the Cleveland, and I heard lots of Alabama jokes. No. As my whole life's gone on, anytime something happens, like my brother marries a Polish woman, and then I can't tell any Polish jokes anymore. Yeah, just As soon as I it. moved to Alabama, my, I can't tell Alabama jokes. Yeah, you know? it just ruins it. But yeah, so they moved me here, and at first I was a little standoffish because, um, you know, you get a bad reputation in certain parts of the country and I got, I was brainwashed into believing certain things. But once I moved here, as time went on, the more and more I appreciated it. And it was my wife, Amy is the reason why I even stayed here mm -hmm. uh, because I met her and I just didn't want to leave her. I'm like, you know, I just can't cause I was going to move to Utah, uh, Salt Lake city. They, <laughs> they had, a, they had a bunch of uh, car washes in Salt Lake and I was just going to get a fresh start it was right before I'd met Amy. I was even talking to it about my boss. And then I met Amy and then she's wanting to meet my boss. And I'm like, don't say anything to her. I didn't know what to do. And then <laughs> one day I had to break down and tell my bosses that I didn't want to go anywhere. 
And then that kind of screwed up their thing. Yeah, because you're very career-oriented, so you, you didn't want to throw a wrench. You're just trying to do whatever you got to do to make not only yourself be successful, but make the company successful. Well, yeah, I was I was a company guy, and I had I still um, I had a couple years left before. See, I still had that bankruptcy looming over me for a while. So the car wash, which I know industry, drove you nuts. I was willing to take the risk. I knew what was going to happen, but I didn't plan on it. I never right. went to do all that stuff and spend all that money if I didn't really truly just. I had so much trust in people and. You know, it is what it is. And when we went to go get money for certain things after my mom had passed, the dot-com bubble, it was like the worst timing ever because everybody was all in on the internet and once the, you know, yeah. and I'm all in the stocks, you know all that. It so you, all you, tanked. You, basically, if you, you lost money because you waited too long to sell it. Correct. Yeah, it wasn't the right time. And that's when I learned so much about the time and the market and the timing of the market. So again, know? another lesson learned along oh, yeah. the way. Yep. Um, meet Amy in 2011. Yep. You guys get married when? Uh, we got married in uh, May of 2012. Uh, oh, so moving fast. About a year and a half. It was January of 2011. So I had a full year and we went hard. I had to go fast because I was supposed to move. So when I first met her. You're like, I hey, liked, if we're going to do this, we're like going to get married. Like the first night we met and then she <laughs> left and then I left. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I got to call her. Yeah, I, can't, I really I like can't this just, girl. Well, I was like, I couldn't let it go, you know, and it, it was just, uh, you know, and then I stayed a little longer and, and I wasn't supposed to move right away. I had a few months, mm -hmm. you know, I just wasn't going to get, I even told her at the beginning, I'm like, look, I'm getting ready to move. So you, know? you guys get married. What, do, what does life look like career wise and even financially now that you're staying in Birmingham in the car wash industry? Well, it was it was good. I was making really good money. I was, you know, more than you would believe, you know, in a mm -hmm. car wash. You know, it's, it's actually quite lucrative if you have lots of volume. But I was doing just fine. Paycheck's fine. I was saving up, you know, whatever. Um, and I lived right behind the car wash, so I walked to work um, just so that way I didn't have to use my car. Guys. Right. I was so cheap, no so way. cheap. With the, <laughs> yeah. I didn't like to waste any money, you know. I'd I, wouldn't have a problem spending money on something as long as I got something for it. Yeah, you you need some uh, ROI. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, and one thing I forgot to mention was I did go to college for about a year when I was eighteen, right out of high school. That's the only college you you had at that time. Okay. Yeah. Before I had met Amy, and I went for a year, and my mom was getting so sick. I was doing that plus everything else that mm -hmm. I was trying to accomplish. So I was just a busy guy. Right. And I was missing out on all the fun. Right. You know? So, um, I don't know where I was going with no, that. No, you're, 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 we're just sticking with the timeline where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so. Me, Amy. You and Amy get married. Right, right. We, um, we you're, got, you're still in the car wash industry. You're, you're making decent money. Right. And then where, where does that lead you? Do you plan on staying in the car wash industry for a long time? Is that just your career? That was point? actually my plan. I was like, I, I, I knew so much that at that point about business itself but I felt more comfortable running somebody else's machine that way. If there was ever a big mess up or if anybody goes bankrupt, it ain't me. You're of. off the hook. Yeah. And wh so. where does, where does that vision of just staying in the car wash industry, where does that come to a halt? It came to a halt when the wife and I went to Florida on a, on a vacation trip and we walked into a vape store for the first time, not knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, we discovered vaping. And along didn't know anything about it. No, I, I 
I'd, I'd seen a couple of things on TV and I'd tried this product called Blue where it was just, you buy it at gas stations or Walgreens. Yeah, it was like a little cigarette. Yeah, it was black. You know, you just puff on it. And I'm like, this thing sucks. You know, there was no flavor. Those were awful. Yeah. Absolutely And I'm awful. like, how am I supposed to quit smoking when, you know, and that's another thing I've never even mentioned. My mom smoked the whole time. I've, I smoked 16 years, you know. You, start, you started smoking at age what? Uh, I tried a cigarette for the first time when I was in the seventh grade, mm-hmm. uh, but I really didn't start smoking until after I stopped playing baseball, which was like 19. Okay. So okay. yeah, once I was off the baseball trip and I realized there was no look like money, I'm like, I, I, I was good at baseball, but if I really put the effort in needed, just like I thought of a chest, just like I thought with bowling. Yeah. I've thrown a 279 and I've, I've been good, but if you want to get really good at something, you got to dedicate and I just didn't want to dedicate. I, you know. So so you've been smoking for several years. Yeah, and Amy and had to. Amy, Amy was as well. Right. You guys make a trip down to Florida. Yeah. And, and it, you start asking the question, can there not be something more more appealing or something better, a better alternative right. to smoking that involves vaping? We, we were open-minded. We just happened to walk in there. It was because of my aunt. My aunt was like, what's that place? So we walked. You, oh, you were just passing by. It was right next to the old car wash that I used to run in Florida. I was there on a vacation with my wife and I was still in the car wash business seeing old employees of mine. Okay. Um, and your aunt's just like, Hey, let's go in there. Real I was quick. Like, oh, it's like a cool store. Yeah. I, I don't want to say the name of it because it's a long story, but uh, we walked in there. I discovered, I was like, what's this, you know? And I was like, I hit this one. It was called red mojito. It was like a strawberry, like mint. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know? Oh my gosh. So I got tobacco flavor. I got the mojito she gets her kid. I get mine. We go back home and, uh, or to the hotel, I guess. And then we go to my aunt's and we're like, this is good. You know, and this is April of 2013 mm-hmm. when we discovered it. And then by May of 2013, we had, I'd formed an LLC with the wife. We're, we're going that quick a month. Yeah. We're meeting up with the guy. We're looking for locations. There was no vape shops anywhere except for Vulcan vape. The the guy that owned the store that you guys spotted and went into, that's who you're talking to. Yeah. And, uh, we were talking to him because I really liked his concept and I liked just the fact that I stopped, she stopped smoking cigarettes. Her aunt Martha smoked for like 40 some years and she was two, three packs a day. We tested it out with her. She quit completely right away. Wow. First day she vaped. No more cigarettes, and then her life just got better. We got, that it was just how it happened. We did quick. our research, found out how much better it was for you, and then started promoting it. Yeah. So you get with this guy that owns the store that you went to, right? And you you formed an LLC, and you're like, "Hey, yeah. I want to get in this business." Yeah, um, it's that's the gist of how, how that happened, and it was mainly to get off people of cigarettes, and then to worry, make sure that this business could stay afloat for a long time. And then we also had the whole political thing, like vaping's never really been popular and it's, and it's, uh, you know, we'll have to have a vaping episode one time, but it's, it's got stereotypes attached to it. Yeah. Which are not true at all. None of them. And actually uh, none of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I saw the fake news happening with the whole tobacco and vaping thing. And I'd been a part of fake news where they exaggerate things, and I saw the exaggerations, and I'm like, okay. So you you knew going into it that it was going to be an uphill battle, but you still not, saw enough Not potential. right away. That was after we got started. Okay. And then we realized it was going to be a battle. We were about a year and a half, two years in, and then it was like, oh, crap. What's happening now? Oh, no. 
one thing after you know, another. Whose battery blew up in what pocket and what state at what time? Right. And, and what did that guy do to it to make it happen? Right. You know, still deal with that. Right. And and uh, it never stops. But it, it was uh, that's where we got to where we are today. Um, so that goes that that venture. Yeah. Lasts. It's still lasting. I mean, we're still. Well, oh, in the initial investment. Yeah. You guys take basically everything you've got. Yes. And put it into this new venture. And that leaves you guys broke. Oh, dude. Like we there was there was some months I didn't know, you know, we didn't know how we're going to pay the rent. Yeah. Like uh, because our rent was high. We were right there on two. You know, that's high square footage price. Yes, it is. So we we were like, well, if we're going to do it, we want a good location. But. Part of it was my fault. I mean, people, other people too, but they'd come in like there'd be a woman that would be like the same age as my mother, you know, and be like, I need to quit smoking. I've been smoking 20 years. And I'd be like, well, a kit that's thirty nine ninety nine in the juice. And after that, it'll be like 60 something. She's like, I just don't know if I want to spend that. Cartons of cigarettes are cheaper. And I'm like, what do you want to spend? I mean, I, I just do anything I could, right? Just, you know, and that was the whole approach. Mm-hmm. And it ended up creating a monster in the long run. Well, that wasn't, that's just one thing. Um, there's lots of things, but it uh, was, it, even though you guys, made some tougher. months y'all didn't know how you were going to pay rent. You were still just passionate because you had seen your aunt Martha yeah. and you and Amy both had how yep. much that has benefited y'all in for you. It was more important to get these people to at least get them started. If, if they're coming in there for the first time, you're like, Hey, I would prefer to just give you this. If you'll just give it a shot. Yeah, and I figured I didn't even care if they came back to our place. I just wanted these people because I was a smoker so long. I tried the pill. I've had the patch on. I've had the patch on and smoked at the same time. Would would, would Amy slap you upside the head when you'd give like massive discounts to a first time customer? Not no. I mean, she she never <laughs> I mean, gave me an. It was just kind of like, how are we gonna make it next month? Right. You know. And meanwhile, it's like you're scraping change out of the out of the couch. And and we didn't we we didn't get into this business. We we were probably one of the poorest people to start. Like. We thought big right away. We were like, we need a busy place, this and that. And it worked out when most my, people would have been terrified to yeah. do that. Oh, yeah. Our rent was probably five, six times what the normal average Joe, like, I need a low rent to start because right. I, I want to make sure it lasts. We were like, you know, let's just see what happens. We want to get, there's lots of people. I mean, you got to remember, this is like 10 years ago and there wasn't any vape shops in the area. And we were right there on Highway 280. I knew the whole highway, like, by the back of my hand. Worked there for a long time, drove up and down that strip, lived on 280. Knew, knew the traffic. Knew the demographics. Knew yeah. the, I was like, there's a lot of cigarette butts on, on every sidewalk. Right. And I saw them every day. And as time's going on in that area, there's less cigarettes all the time. So you, you start this under under the umbrella of the the person you initially met in Florida. Yeah, they the, had, the they had nothing to do with the money. It was a franchise. Well, it wasn't technically a franchise yet because he didn't have enough locations, but I liked this concept. My wife liked this concept. We went off of that concept, and um, basically something happened that we didn't like that we could prove that he did wrong, and we got out of our deal and started our own thing. That's about you, how far as I can go without getting into specifics because there was an actual thing. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you got you guys poured all your money yeah. into this, and then you realized that the the place you franchised is not doing business the way you guys are willing to do business. Yeah. 
And so, y'all, how hard was it to break away from that oh. in Star Trek? Was it like starting all over? Well, it, it was like starting all over, but we were with the other model with that franchise. They You could only sell what they had. So the real deal was, was to try to get as many locations as you wanted. And once we finally found out what was really going on with that place, um, we had just signed a lease for our second location. Okay. Oh, for wow. three years. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. That was for two years. Uh, just to get in the door. So we had our second one started, hadn't even put up the sign yet, and then had to back out of that company mm. in the first one. That cost you money to back out of that? That uh, lease? N- well, yes and no, because you got to understand, we just basically designed a full store and then a second store to fit the narrative of what this person wanted. Mm. We had to go by his... Yeah, because you had to play by his rules. Even the color of the wall, like Oof. the brown and the gray and stuff, like his colors and then the cream and... The flooring even had to be approved by him, so it was a true franchise type thing. So you break away from that, you guys start your own thing. You you've got you're getting your juice and your product from the yeah. last guy. Now yes. you're starting your own thing. You don't have anywhere to get any stuff. Now from. now is when things start to click because then we 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 still had the second store we were doing on, but it wasn't making any money or losing any money. Oh, um, that, that was my bad. I cut oh, you off. It wasn't making <laughs> or losing. It was just kind of there and more of we lost focus because now that we're doing our own thing, how are we going to try to make two stores happen? When you don't when, even know how the first one's going to When work. the first one's just, you know, it's not like it was losing. It just wasn't making. Um, so we basically went like three years without getting a paycheck. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't really make. we. She had a job still, and even along the way, I delivered some pizzas on the side because we always wanted to pay our people. Most people don't understand how how that's even feasible just, to, to to go three years without a paycheck. Well, yeah, um, but we were, you know, we have our priorities. First, you got your your rent. I mean, immediately rent. Then you got your people. Pay your people. Then you worry about product, and then you worry about yourself after everything else. You know, I, I mean. We just didn't make any money for a long time. But you know what? Our value was we were getting a lot of people off cigarettes. Right. I mean, a lot of people. And so for three years, it goes down that road, and then you start picking up some steam. When, when did Vapor Forge open its doors? And For instance, when did the name change? Um, this would have been, oh, Vapor Forge itself. This would have been early, the 2004, spring of 2014. Okay. So... so once we found out what the guy was up to, um, I can't even say what it is. Uh, we <laughs> knew we had to get out, so we ripped the Band-Aid right off right. and did what we had to do. You know, We couldn't sit around when your rent's that high every month. You can't just sit around and be like, uh, let's, talk, do? let's yeah, meet yeah. up next weekend and figure out. I mean, it was like. So y'all what cut, cut it off immediately yep. and then started this, this journey of three years, no paycheck. And yeah. that's 2014, so you go 15, 16, 16 yeah. and it wasn't probably till 2017 that you guys started to pick up some steam. Yeah, it was it was a slow climb. It was a customer, because we didn't have the kind of money other vape shops had. We couldn't go out and get everything and have it in stock like today. We you were just trying to find out what was a necessity right. to keep on the shelf. I mean, we were getting people off cigarettes, main important thing, but just um, we didn't really figure out the game we didn't really it wasn't until basically we started listening to what people wanted more than what we knew was better for them mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um people would come in you know i want this well if we didn't have that but we knew we had something better 
they'd sometimes they'd just walk out the door. Yeah, yeah. Or they'd come in, I want this. We don't sell that. Okay, let's leave. Well, finally, it just clicked to us. We're like, wait a minute. We need to just start carrying whatever they come in and ask for. Right. So once we got on that gravy train, it all worked. But along the way, we've had fights. Um, we had fight with Big Tobacco in 2019 at that point. That was the whole Jewel thing. But before that, the Jewel was part of the program, 2016, 17. Right. Well, let's let's go to, to 2017. We pick up steam. 2018, you and I meet. Um, well, may, maybe it was even 2019 because it was 19. I walked into Vaporforge for the yep. first time in, I believe it was October of 2018. What had happened was I was working for Crawford Broadcasting, Superstation 101.1, which Leland had essentially gotten me the job over there. I, I, I get over there in, in spring, actually summer of 2016. And by summer of 2018, we get word from management is, hey, your job's going to be gone in two months. Don't say anything about it on air or you will, uh, you will, uh, lose your, 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 uh, what is the, your package when you live, whatever it's called. I can't even remember. Right, right. So, um, we have to, for like, you know, six to six to eight weeks, have to go on air and do a radio show knowing that we're about to lose our job. In the meantime, Trish and I came up with the concept of doing a podcast, which, as you see, is still going on today. And we start shopping around. We know nothing about doing a podcast, uh, at least that day and age. And so we start shopping around for some equipment. We're over at Bailey Brothers looking at soundboards and things of that nature. Um, And we come out of Bailey Brothers after... um, after kind of looking around, we're we're basically going to take the what is it? What's it called? A compensation packet? What's the what's the name of that? When you get when you get fired, they let you go and they give you a certain amount of money. A severance pay. Severance pay. That's it. Right. So we have decided. Hey, I'm going to take my severance and I'm going to invest all of that money into podcast equipment. So we're at Bailey Brothers checking on all that. We go back out to the car. Trish has locked her keys in the car. And I'm like, this is fantastic. We call AAA. They're going to come unlock the car, da, 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 da. And she's like, well, there's a vape store over there. And I already vape. I was vaping at the time. And I was like, well, that's perfect. Let's go in there. And th- mm-hmm. this is a time when vape stores had couches and everything else. And you can kind of hang out. And uh, I, I, we walk in. It's like right at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And uh, we're like, what time do you guys close? They're like, oh, we're actually closing right now. I was like, ah, oh, that's okay. Our keys were locked in the car. And we were just trying to. Uh, waste some time until they get here, and they're like, "Nah, y'all come on in. We'll keep the doors open until until the uh, the people come to get your car unlocked." And I thought that was super cool that these guys who probably wanted to get home uh, after yeah. working all day, you know, they're gonna keep keep the doors open for these two strangers that are just trying to waste time. And in fact, they do. I remember it was Eric, yep, who uh, just recently moved to Hawaii. They let us in there and hung out with us until AAA got there and unlocked the car. And after that, I was like, man, that was so cool of them. That needs to be my new vape store. And so I start shopping only at Vapor Forge. And over time, I end up meeting Tony. And then the rest is history where we end up being he's, you know, good he's friends. He's really picky with his flavors. I good really I didn't even know he was like a radio guy at first. I was just talking to him when he come by. And he's like, I got, I'm real picky with flavors. So it got to the point, I, he even got to see what I was doing for a while. I'm like, we need to find you a flavor. Sometimes I'd throw him a bottle and be like, here, try this one. If you don't like it, I don't feel bad because you didn't pay for it. 
I mean, yeah. So you got to kind of witness what I used to do. We did. And then I, because of him, I got to learn a lot about the vape industry, our battles with big tobacco, which we've been yeah. over on, on the radio show many of times. Uh, and, and during that time, Tony learned I was doing this podcast and he, he, you know, as you've heard his life story, he's, he's very, um, adamant about big ideas. And so he's seen that in this podcast, even to this day, um, and then comes what we mentioned earlier, uh, the job at 99.5, which we were jocking for. From from the time I left 101, the number one goal was to get to the only other live and local talk station, which was 99.5. Mm-hmm. And I was filling in all the time and all this kind of stuff. It took three years to get there, but we finally got there. But that's how me and Tony met. And I, I saw history. I saw potential in this man. I, I saw the podcast. I didn't even know he was radio until Eric told me. And I went and looked at it one night and I'm like, OK, this guy kind of seems open minded like myself. And I'm an original conspiracy guy. Um, I'll, I'm not afraid to go around and tell everybody about the times that Alex Jones was right or, <laughs> right. you know, things like that. So just the fact that he would listen to me, I'd start talking to him and tell him what I thought about things. And he'd be like, huh, let me look into that. And he'd look into it. And mostly people would just kind of laugh at me before. Well, when it know? came to, to that point in time as well, is I kind of needed something to look up to on, on the political aspect of things because I had lost my... I don't want to say I lost my drive because we kept up with the podcast stuff, but it, I was so far behind the curve yep. on that front, and I had just lost, like, being at 101 and only getting to be there for two years, that was my first big boy radio job, mm-hmm. so I felt like I had reached the pinnacle and then had it ripped away from me within two years, so it was a really weird time for me. Well, see, when I first saw you, I thought, this guy has potential to go places when he's passionate, when he is... uh pissed off whatever you want to call it and there's an issue you know a lot about and you talk about it it's very powerful so there's a lot i saw lots of like you know just like scouting scouting a baseball player you go and you watch him play and then if you happen to see that miracle arm throw from the outfield you rate him on his throwing arm you rate him a four or five you know i'm just using baseball as another analogy so i was kind of scouting you out i'm like does this guy have potential or am i just gonna waste time and it wasn't, I mean, you were my friend too. I was talking to right. you before that, but I actually like, okay, I think this guy might go places, you know? And that's, I'd already been listening to 99.5 before that. So they were already my station and I loved the station. So I was just hoping that you'd get the job there, but I wasn't really planning on it. You know, right. it was yeah, just kind of like a you know, bonus, mm-hmm. but um, I, I knew something would work out sometime because when you sit around um, and this is getting kind of lengthy. So I want to get into some things I've learned. Um, don't ever if you ever want to do a business or something don't ever force anything don't like if we sit here right now let's start a business what can we do yeah right there that's bad that is just a stupid idea you got the opportunity don't do it just to do it, it has, if it comes along when you force things it doesn't work when you're sitting around looking and keeping your ears open opportunities present themselves and then you take advantage of those opportunities that's just my experience in life uh, another thing i like to tell people is to do things for yourself first I always had the philosophy to go around and buy people's lunches. I like helping people. I've always enjoyed doing that. Even when I didn't have much, I did things like that. Always bought people's lunches along the way. Friends. Never expected anything in return. But sometimes if you can't help yourself and you're really depressed in life, you got to focus on yourself. And yeah, it does feel good to do things for other people. Don't kill yourself trying to do it. I practically damn near killed myself trying to help my own mother when there was really nothing I could do in the first place. But I stressed myself out. 
So I was, I was more worried about everybody else. So sometimes you got to sit back and actually be selfish and say, hey, I need to take my vitamins. Hey, mm -hmm. I need to drink my water. Hey, I need to go walking. So I try to remember to, to, to do that and preach it too. Um, another thing I learned that helped me out in life was thinking backwards. When I went to a seminar in Vegas when I was 19, I paid five grand to go out to the seminar and I saw this guy, his name was Don. I won't give you his last name, but I saw him on TV after that. I also met uh, some of the producers of the Cheech and Chong show when nice. i was in las vegas yeah met a few people there 19 years old gambling along with the adults they had no idea so i paid all that money and i learned how to think backwards at this seminar and i also saw on the oprah winfrey show she mentioned thinking backwards around the same time i wasn't meaning to watch that by the way but i saw harpo productions and that was her name spelled backwards. And that's where I learned she knew the secret about thinking backwards. And what I mean by thinking backwards is you got to think there's an investor head and there's a consumer head. My dad, when I was a young kid, told me never to buy anything close to the reg register because that's the stuff they're trying to, trying to sell to you. It's their junk. You know, that's where they make all their profits at. You know, they buy things for pennies and they sell them for a dollar kind of thing. So the backwards thinking comes if you see an ad on TV and it's for you know, whatever. I don't think about the consumer. Do I want to get that? I look at the production. Who, where's the lighting? What time of day is it? What channel? Uh, you know, are there old people listening right now? I remember seeing all the depressive, depressing things at two in the morning, late on Comedy Central, depressing commercials because I was depressed at the time. And, you know, you see, but that yeah. time of night, you see lots of thing on IRS debt, you know, right. <laughs> things like that. So I, I figured out the whole game. Thinking backwards gets you so far. Um, you know, why? you can go as far as, you know, the opposite of evil is live. You know, I mean, there's so many mm -hmm. things that along the way. And, and if it wasn't for thinking backwards, I wouldn't be in Alabama. I wouldn't, you know, I, I just tried to think outside the box. Speaking of that, I met the guy that invented the uh, think outside the, the bun. The guy who came up with that slogan. I met him at a car wash in Clearwater. Yeah. Yeah. Taco Bell guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember he, that. Yeah, think outside the bun. That's pretty funny. Knew that guy. Evil Knievel came in that same day. <laughs> That's, yeah. Anyway, anyway sorry, sorry. Yeah, it goes on and on. So the other thing I would say, I know it's getting late. Uh, so, uh, yeah, smart person learns from their own mistakes. Genius learns from everybody else's. Um, I try to not be around negative people. I don't like downers, and I don't like the what have you done for me lately people. I've, I've helped out lots of people in my life and I've had a few people along the line where I've helped out. And, uh, next thing you know, I stop helping out cause I got something going on. Next thing you know, I'm getting bad mouth and I'm like, I don't need these people in my life. I, so, I'm with you on that front. There, yeah. There's the one characteristic, one personality trait that will drive me absolutely nuts is, is people that are ungrateful. Yeah. And, and they don't even have to show it. It's just when you do like it's that old saying if you give somebody a dollar every day the homeless man he's gonna expect it and eventually he's gonna kill you if you don't give him that yeah, dollar he's gonna know? be pissed if you stop giving him the dollar so yeah that was my thing i bought a lot of lunches that was my own per i don't know why i did it i just did it, it made me feel good if somebody was that buy lunch buy lunch buy lunch just do that didn't matter how much money i had in the bank or if i had none i figured it out and i have been broke bankrupt been down in the dumps um, time is money. We only all have so much time. There's nothing more important than time. Uh, when I judge, when I think about money, I really think about time now. That's, that's just kind of key. Uh, a person's life ages like one through seven or eight, that structure will set the tone of everything. If you have a child's life and a good at a early age, and that structure's there before they become a young adult, 
before they go through puberty and all those things, they're going to be able to go through a lot more in life and not go home crying to mommy. If I didn't have the structure I had with things I went through in my early 20s and things like that, super bad things, I mean, scammed, depressed, suicidal, I mean, you name it, I went through it and I battled. But if I did not have that structure that I got as a young child, I would have never, ever made it. And that's what, it made me wake up in the morning and, you know, it was uh, so important for for people. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Uh, I also make it a point to try to watch something funny before bed. Um, Over the years, I was told that watching like scary movies or something bad or an evil documentary, you know, right before you go to sleep, generally going to have bad thoughts, bad dreams, wake up, not in as good of mood. If you saw Dave Chappelle show, right. Um, Speaking of Dave Chappelle, I'm running through some stuff, things over my life, South park. Awesome. Sopranos Chappelle show those right off the top. Like if you think of things I've seen that I love, that's good advice. I, I, I don't. I, I, I've never really thought about that, but it is absolutely true. If, if you have a bad dream, it'll set your tone for your yeah, day. Yeah. So you can ask my wife. I've probably seen just about every South Park episode fifty times, and I'm not exaggerating. I used to fall asleep to it every night just because right. it was funny, and I liked the humor, and I memorized just about every episode. And um, you know, and the Chappelle Show I use as a personal gauge for friends. I only have so many friends. You know, I have lots of acquaintances and people I know, but I mean, as personal friends, I use the Chappelle show as a gauge. If somebody doesn't like the Dave Chappelle show kind of thing, I, I, I can't hang out with you. Especially just, if they get offended by Dave right. Chappelle. That's I, a red flag. I, I can't do that. So the what, if, what have you done for me lately, people and the people that can't stand Dave Chappelle? Uh, you know, yeah, it's kind of funny to say it that You're way, but here. it's true. And I mentioned along the way, I had lots of just bowling, you know, pool, darts, softball leagues. Uh, I got to tell you real quick, I was an accidental hand model for the car wash. I was on every manager magazine training guide for the book that everybody got for years. I might even, my hands still might even be on it, but I was at this car wash thing in Houston and I had my hands on this buffer and there's this lady going around taking pictures of people. And she took a picture of my hands over the car before I knew it. And I didn't think anything of it. And about a year and a half later, I'm training this manager at our location and I'm looking at this magazine. I'm looking, I'm like, you know, cause it, just a big set of hands on the front. It would say Mr. Car Wash and I have a big set of hands with a buffer on top of a car. That's all. You didn't see my face. You didn't see anything color, my shirt, nothing hands. I'm looking at him and I'm looking down at my hands and I'm like, by God, these are my hands. And then mm. I trigger. I'm like, I remember that lady took that picture of me that one time. You didn't so make I, a dime off that. No, I didn't make anything. I even asked about it. You know, uh, you make a lot of money off OnlyFans these days. For yeah. Stuff like so that. just because they thought she thought I had nice hands. I don't have bad hands. I'm not like, you know, Trump with the small fingers and stuff or whatever. <laughs> so but uh, that that was interesting. Um, so I was the, the accidental hand model. I got to tell you real quick. Uh, the Superman, I know we've talked about this, and I almost didn't get to discuss it. The wife said it was okay. But I dressed up, <laughs> okay, for Halloween one year. And I don't dress up for Halloween. This is the last time I dressed up. Yeah, I've never seen you. Yeah, I don't do it. For anything. This is the one time I chose to do it. But when I do it, I want to go all out. Okay. So this is the one thing I almost said, because someday I might want to run for mayor somewhere. And if this gets me in trouble, this happened a long time ago. Uh, and it was a joke. So I dressed up as Superman in the wheelchair, full Christopher Reeves. I had my mom's wheelchair up there. I had Jeez. the straw coming up into my mouth and I had the Superman suit on and had my friend Joey wheeling me around. 
and I was on a bowling league. So it was Halloween night. Well, when it was time to bowl, I started out using the, the, the handicap bowling thing. I'd roll it down. Well, that didn't work out so well. I had to get up to bowl. But these people at the other end of the line, there was these, this older group of people, and they got super offended, okay? I guess because I was really acting. I really wanted to play like They could tell you weren't really in that wheelchair. Oh, of course, because I bull up, you know, boom, you know, and <laughs> sit back down and be all, you know, and with a straw in my mouth, like, get, get me, a, you know, and I need, I need like a little orphan or something. Right. Or, you know, whatever. So I'm acting like he's in the wheelchair. And then the head manager comes out there and says, sir, do you, can you get rid of the wheelchair? You can dress up as Superman, but this is a little too much. He just died. I'm like, really? No, no, I'm not. I'm here. I, so I paid money. I, pay, I paid money to come. I, I showed up. You know, I'm here. I'm both my friends. Am I? Who am I hurting right now? This is discrimination. No, I was just like, who am I hurting? Well, those people over there in their league, they don't like it. I'm like, why are they paying attention to me? Well, you're in a Superman suit and and you're on a wheelchair, and the guy just died. You know, and right. it, it hadn't been a year, but right. But it was I- irony to me. So, long story short, I wouldn't get out of the wheelchair. And then I went back to bowling with the the thing the, where the ball like rolls down it and then goes down the middle. And my team got upset with me because of the score. So I, I couldn't like get a higher score, but I went with it because I was so determined to stay in the character. Competitiveness. It, 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 once, they made the, again. once they made the complaint, it was game on. So I stayed focused, kept my grip. And I'm like, I'm not getting out of this damn chair anymore. So I even played it off. Next thing you know, the cops show up. There's two cops walk in, sir will you get out of that wheelchair? And I'm like, I'm crippled. I can't, you know, and I'm looking, I'm still in character talking to these cops and they're like, you know, they, they don't like your, you know, you, they want you to leave or they want you to get out of the chair or you got to leave. That's how it went down. They didn't ask me to leave at first. And I said, no, I'm staying in my chair. I need my chair because I'm crippled. And he's like, they saw you bowl. And I was like, that was when I broke character. This is Halloween. I'm sticking to my script. It's not illegal. And he says, well, you're going to have to leave then we're going to have to escort you out. And, and, and sure enough, Joey wheeled me out front, the cops right behind me. I stayed in the chair all the way till we got <laughs> to the car and I was yelling, this isn't justice on my way out the door. And everybody was watching. You weren't like drinking whole, or anything. No, you're just, no, a- actually there was beer on the table and I had some sips, but it was Halloween and I was, I was driving that night. So I couldn't, you were just standing up for for uh, I know. like I love the idea, and we went all out with the du- the black duct tape and the straw to the mouth. So did your your team get upset that you got kicked out? I think they thought it was funny. Yeah, like we were upset because nobody had a camera. We just went there and we were bowling, and it was like bowling league night. You know, it was a Wednesday night. It was just happened to fall on Halloween that night. We we're all like, if you could do life over, you would keep a camera on you at all times, wouldn't you? I do now. It's yeah. in my car. It's a front, back, things I've seen, you know, like, you know, my house and the business, there's cameras everywhere, right, you know. Right. But th- that's one incident. I wasn't really proud of it because after it happened, sorry, I wasn't the microphone. After it happened, I, I saw all the older people at the other end and I saw the look on that this one lady's face. I'll never forget it. Like, she was really disgusted by me. But, uh, Listen, if that's the worst decision you ever made, then you're doing pretty good. Well, anyway, that was something that was talked about for a long time. Like, but right, it it was talked about until I moved. That went on for a few years. Uh, like my friends would bring it up. All you the had time. to move because be of somewhere. It. Well, they'd just be like, "Remember that time you dressed as handicapped <laughs> Superman?" I'm like, "Oh, geez." Right. So there was that. Uh, another time, um, when I was playing baseball, uh, I went to a baseball 
game and on the way walking from the car to the field we were all as a team in a line with parents and kids i was in the eighth grade playing at the high school field and we walked over this bridge on this creek it was from the parking lot to the field and as we were walking over this bridge this was in belleville illinois i smelled this really bad smell this was a saturday afternoon about 12 30 and I said, you guys smell that? Yeah. You know, what is that? That's horrible. And we kept walking and the parent behind me, Mr. Rosberg said, it's probably a dead animal. And I was like, man, that's horrible. And I couldn't get that smell out of my head. Well, we went home, came to school Monday and it was all over the papers. The, the janitor, the superintendent of that school, um, the, you know, the janitor guy, he found a dead body underneath that bridge and it was a Belleville news Democrat, that same paper that wrote that damn article about right. me. It was, it was a journalist from that paper and she was out jogging the trails at the high school and her dead body was underneath that bridge for like days. Jeez. So we smelled a dead body and it was got played off as a dead animal. And then the janitor found it the next day cause the smell was just like, Oh, oh my man. God. So it rotted out. That's there a brutal. Summer. Yeah. So, so that was really weird. Uh, I'm trying to think of like strange things that I've seen. <laughs> I've had two attorneys that turned into judges. Um, my mom dated a member of the Bush family, not George Bush, but Bush beer. And ironically enough, my dad's cousin, Wally, his daughter married a Bush family member. They have lots of money and they travel from St. Louis to Tampa Bay all the time. Um, How about that? Yeah, I told you about Javier Arena. She brought that up. I once got in trouble at the restaurant because I had a marketing genius. You know, I like the marketing stuff. And uh, we had a thing. They were, they were tossing your salad, okay? <laughs> so you come in, and the idea was come in, and, and we can toss your salad for you. That, Boy, was our, hey. that was a promotion. So we were in charge of our own reader board out in front of the street, and we were a busy highway. We were the number one Fazoli's in the country. There was like 260 stores. Yeah. So we were number one sales, like 40 something grand a week, you know, big time, lots of cars. So I put out front cause we were promoting t salad tossing, right? I put, let us toss your salad today with an exclamation point, And I spelled it with lettuce, like L E T T U C E. Yeah. You know, it'd be as the, as the joke. Right. That was up there for about five days. And my boss called me. And I pretended to not know what he was talking about. Yeah. He called me. He's like, you need to take that off the side right now. You know, and he's like freaking out. I Why? Go, Why? Boss? Why? We're promoting salad tossing this week <laughs> or this month. You don't like your salad tossing, it's, boss? It's, it was it was the flavor of the month, as we called it, you know, because of the promotional deals. Yeah. It was a big chain. We were tossing salad for that month. <laughs> so I wanted to make it funny and put it on the board. Well, some lady called the corporate store, you know, but he calls me and he's like, I need you to take that down. I'm like, why? You know why. No, I don't know why. Mm. Are we tossing salads this month or not? And I knew the whole time what I was talking about, but I pretended I didn't. So it made the whole conversation really like he, he did not like me that conversation because I'm like, no, I'm not going to just take it down unless you tell me what you mean. Well, fine. Why don't you come <laughs> down here and toss my salad? Yeah. But people were coming in, thought it was funny. These guys are coming and be like, I want that lady back there yeah. to toss my salad. You know, it's saying right. and it was a thing, you know, like if you have a car wash, you can, you know, you put things rimmed up, right. stuff like that. The marketing stuff. I, I was always a fan of marketing. Uh, for the car wash, I was on TV commercial in Florida. I don't know if I told you that on this broadcast, but I was on commercials, sitting at home eating dinner, and I'd see myself pitching their car wash thing. I didn't even want to do it, and they made me do it. Um, let's see. 
other things i i've easily hired if not interviews i was on the fazoli's fit team we went to different fazoli's locations i interviewed probably probably a couple thousand people in my life um i've hired over a thousand easily um i've let a lot of people go but i've never fired anybody they fired yeah hand see that on the 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 magic car car wash detailing that was only taken because and that's a rust that went onto the picture that was only taken because i knew nobody would believe me i was on a vacation and i saw that and i was like i better get a picture nobody's gonna believe me and i had a lot of instances and like it was that. just a random car wash yeah. that says hand job ten dollars on the other side i couldn't find the other picture in time but it said in and out twenty dollars mm. you know <laughs> i thought that was like yeah, that's interesting. That's why lettuce toss your salad was it, perfectly appropriate. But it was up there, and you didn't see the cops at the place, you know, and it gave me the idea to do the other things along the way. Yeah. So just little marketing things. Uh, for a while there, I forgot to mention, I was an environmental tech. Right after I left uh, Fazoli's before I moved to Florida, I hadn't quite decided that I was going to move to Florida. I became an environmental technician cleaning up horse manure out of a racetrack making a lot of money actually with this big development and we were finding things deep in the ground that we weren't supposed to be finding and that's mm. really all i can tell you about it wow yeah it was from i can tell you fairmont park racetrack collinsville illinois and it was an area near there and they were dumping for years things they weren't supposed to be dumping. Oh. yes and i I've got pictures I could prove it with, but there was lots of lawsuits, and I don't. I signed non-disclosure. Non so, yeah, that's a true story. Uh, over the years, what numbers? I've I've got this nick for numbers uh, and almost a photographic memory. I remember details. I remember things I did like every day. I remember how many steps it took to get to the the uh, bus stop when I was a kid because I counted. I'm yeah, weird, you've, you've told me before that you've counted tiles on the floor. Yeah. Like, you know how many tiles are. I was just sitting there waiting for my sandwich at a subway, and I look around, I'm like, I don't know how many square feet's in this damn place. Right. You know, <laughs> right. But yeah, so I suffered anxiety, depression. Uh, I got robbed one time at a bank at the car wash. That is the first time that I actually needed a pill for my anxiety. Uh, that was my, my breaking point. Um, when, before I met my wife, Amy, my previous uh, personal uh, person that I can't talk about other people, uh, she used me and put me, I don't do social media because she used me for her, she made up a MySpace page in my name and pretended to be me for about a year and a half. Mm. And I have I told you about that? Yes. She went a year and a half, pretended to be me with all my old friends. This is after I, I just moved to Florida. Okay. So she came to Florida with me started the myspace page to talk to all my old friends from st louis and like as time went on these friends of mine stopped talking to me she proceeded to ruin all your relationships yeah it's like kind of buzz off type yeah. thing and she pretended to be me and there's this whole page and she knew i like south park and this is back, stuff back before catfishing was a thing right and um she even would talk to her own family and pretend she was me yeah like you know and i found about all this an accident because i was at the car wash one day and somebody said hey i like that picture you posted and I'm like, and, what? And, and back then, none of that made sense. No. Because that was never a thing. It no. was new technology, per se. No. And it's, uh, that's, that's bizarre. I'll never forget it. I'm up front wiping a car off to get a customer to send him out. And this, this employee walked up, remember him too. He said, hey, I like that picture you posted. I'm like, what picture and where and what are you talking about? And he goes, your MySpace page. I go, I don't have a MySpace page. And I go, do you have one? And he goes, yeah. And I go, what, what's Let my? Let me see it. <laughs> I'm like, what's MySpace? 
and we were at work so we didn't you know there was we didn't have cell phones with smart and all that we couldn't check it out i had to get home and look but um, i asked i didn't know what he was talking about and there was a picture he mentioned about which showed me and nick hogan together at the car wash so my she, girlfriend she put a lot the of time, effort into it yeah she really like psychotic dude really bad so that was just another thing that ruined it for me that's why i'm not on facebook that's not what you know like that lost a lot of relationships and i'm not talking about women i'm talking about like personal friends, friends. yeah through the years you know I, I fought through the whole baseball chess thing i got that off my back and then i have that internet company i tried which failed then i had to shake that off and then we move and then lo and behold i'm getting you know all my friends told to buzz off and i got a new life in florida and you know i, I found it that carried on for years there was a lot of damage uh that i didn't know right away or outside i broke up with it right away right but it carried on i'd come back home to visit st louis i'd be in a walmart and somebody be like hey how how how's the wife and kids and i wouldn't i'm like what are you talking about right you know and they're like well it was on your page i'm like oh no here we go again yeah you know, so social I, media is dangerous so yeah so that happened to me um i told you i don't take any pictures i never I, i'm so bad at my wife hates me for that but i just i'll never remember to take a picture until unless somebody forces me to you know it's because I, I got it all up here man I, I don't need a picture to remind me of right of what it is uh i've been all around this country I mean, where have I been? New York City, Twin Towers, San Francisco, Niagara Falls, Florida, Texas. I've probably been in roughly 30 of the 50 states, maybe 31 or two. Right. Uh, if I had to get, there's a picture of Joey at the bottom. Yeah, dude, that's just one symbol. We did this to multiple people, but the pranks, whoever falls asleep first, the full duct tape, marker job, you know, shaving cream. At least you love and doing that, and that, that was that was a picture that made it to the cut to get on TV, you know, on this thing. So, uh, that was a, actually a light, um, however you want to call it, a light abuse. Moment. Oh yeah. 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 Light, cool. light prank. That's the same kid, Joey, that, uh, wheeled me out in Superman costume at uh St. Clair bowl. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I felt bad. He got to go right back in though, but, um, I wasn't Not Christopher right Reeves. He I had to go I, home. I could have, just gotten out of the chair and did it but I, I i was like past you know what i'm saying like i just had to do it i'm like nope if i'm getting kicked out and i think they um i think i even got counted for a zero i didn't bold my last mm. game yet so they put a zero for all my or score. nothing man yeah so um yeah that's I, I mean there's other stuff too that's um, an eventful life though oh, I've, I've done all those interviews i had one interview in my life i purposely bombed on only because i felt so bad uh, for the people because they had worked really hard to hire me. This was after the car wash business. I was already at Vapor Forge and there was another chain around town that Mr. Car Wash almost bought out and then he backed out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I go and I do this interview and they liked me and all that. And they called me back for the second interview because this is when we weren't making any money yet at the Forge. So he called me back for the second interview. And, and once I got to the second interview, I was like, I do not want to do this again. But I felt so bad. I went through the interview anyway. We've all been there. Yeah. And I've never bombed any interview I've ever had. I got off for the job. You know, I just kind of naturally like, this is what I want to do. I'm focused. Boom. So I go in there and I'm like, I need to bomb this interview. And I learned all these tricks over the years of things to say, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm like, it was like, a, it was like a production. I wish there would have been video of this interview. Like it would have been like gotten clicks. Uh, I was like, just break. They're like. At the end, he was, look, I could tell he was just like, man, this is horrible. Right. And he says, one more question, you know, and he asked me, have you read these books? Yeah. Where does the buck stop? 
And the answer is the customer. I could have told right away. I'm like, customer. Right. And I said, me. Nice. <laughs> right at the end. Nice. And he just looked at me and I was like, yes. Because so, mm. I knew all those people. Right. And I just, I, that was my way of getting out of it. I, I'm not big on doing interviews on the radio. And I've often felt like, I, I thought to myself, hey, if I'm, I'm forced into an interview, I'll just make it so horrible that nobody ever wants to come on my show again. And then I can continue on to just do what I do. Because well, you know how I operate. Oh, yeah. And this is the only interview I've ever done where it wasn't for a job. Right. So, in fact, this is, there's probably stuff my wife didn't even know uh, that I've talked about. And, and uh, but it's, it's grooming who I am now. Uh, I, what I do currently, like today, I like looking at stocks. I like financial stuff. I'm very involved, like, sort of politically obviously um uh i deal with a lot of you know grandkids um i like life i feel like i'm ready for another chapter with something meaning like there might be another opportunity right around the corner we've been thinking about possibly doing a couple other types of businesses uh something that where it's not political every year and you think they're going to take you out i want to have something steady right you know like a car wash or a restaurant you know kind of thing i like what the chubb father's got going on but mm-hmm. you know i don't want to go and call it the chubb brother and right, put it right next door <laughs> the chubb like, forge yeah yeah but I, I like like his business i get it i get the whole restaurant front to back everything from the tp to the the, whole, the warehouse the wholesalers right i get all that business stuff and it's just like anything else uh just like riding a bike well, and, and the reason I invited you to do this is because you're one of the most interesting people that I know, and, and you've, you've been through a lot of stuff, but it's what's fascinating to me outside of all the stories is just the person that you are and hearing that backstory on why you are the way you are, because you're not, you're not an average guy. You're not, you're not, a, you're not a normal person. And it's because of the of the way you view everything, and and I think now the audience kind of understands why you view things the way you do, and it, yeah. it's resulted in you being successful. You and, and, you and Amy both. Yeah, with certain things, yes, because you learn from your mistakes and everything else. Uh, it's also stopped me from me doing this interview right now is kind of facing one of my fears and it's fear from like those news articles. And you know, I've had it to where something gets out in public, and and all it takes is one person you know, that knows you or something. And, you know, I didn't want to come here and start talking about people that I knew in my past. That's why I was real careful with who I was saying. Names, and, yeah. Cause there's been lawsuits. There's been, I've had a gun to the back of my head at one point, but I can't talk about it here. Right. You know, things like that, like real stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, I've been close to suicide before after my mom died. I've, I've had a couple of people. I, my aunt saved my life. I called her one time and she talked me out of it. I was driving home from my mom's grave and, uh, it was a long stretch of highway and there was this like this bridge and I seriously thought about it. But I tell you, if it wasn't for the structure, if it wasn't for the beginning and the love as a child, I wouldn't have uh, chickened out. Wouldn't be the word. I wasn't afraid. Once your mother dies or father or something like that, you're not afraid as much anymore. Like that was the biggest, like if anybody said, what was the biggest thing difference after your mom died? I'd say, I'm not afraid of death. She just went through the whole thing right in front of me. I held her hand at the end. Uh, so once that happened, it was like, what is it? You know, all this stuff is just, it's just stuff. Well, and I think if there's um, one thing to take away from, from this show, for those of you that are, that are listening, is especially for parents, is 
take don't take those first few years for granted. Really put in the effort because there's going to be a lot of us that regret not doing things in those early years with your child that builds them into who they want to be because every one of us as parents we want we, we have expectations from the day your kid's born you've got expectations for what your kid is going to be when he grows up or when she grows up and most of that is going to be dictated by those early years as we heard with your story yeah and it, it's going to mold them into who they end up being yeah and it's not a particular story about anybody or anything at this point it's just something that happened to me i just happened to have the right structure at the very beginning and it helped me out later in life when things got really tough i wasn't afraid to move to florida and try a whole new career i wasn't afraid to go to vegas i wasn't afraid to go to silicon valley and talk to people that were worth 10,000 times what I had in the bank, you know, kind of thing. I wasn't afraid to sit down in front of 16 FBI agents or, or former and then pitch a business idea as a 20-year-old startup internet company where these people could, you know, I didn't understand the true magnitude of that, but it was like a practical joke at the time. But I, I wasn't fearful of that. Um, it's I have more anxiety issues now where if I'm in like a long line somewhere, oh my God, I can't stand it. You know, finding a parking space when there's no parking. Those little things You're still right. get to me. But, you know, everybody has their stuff. But I, I really want to just get out certain points. Just everybody's different. Everybody has their own thing. I don't judge. Uh, I just try to help people as much as I can, do the best I can in life, and just try to be nice. And um, those are things that help me out. The thinking backwards. Uh, you know, thinking things through. Uh, learning from other people's mistakes, doing research. I like to find answers. I want to know who can, when I was a kid, my dad in St. Louis, we just moved to St. Louis. He took me to the federal reserve bank in St. Louis. And I asked him, I said, he said, they get to set the interest rates for the whole country. And I asked him, why do they get to do that? And who put them in charge of that? And he didn't know how to answer that question. And that's why I took the deep dive into the banking system and learned how it really works. It was just because my dad didn't know something. And it kind of struck me like, right. how does my dad not know about the bank? Because you think your dad knows everything. Right. Growing and, up. But he knew that they set the interest rate. And I'm like, well, how did that happen? And he didn't tell me about the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, which is really the beginning point of the downfall. But anyway, that's all for your regular show. But well, that's, that's, that's why I support this guy, because he, he understands what I've been talking about and he gets it. And that's something where we're, we'll do at a different time. As right, well, right. I, I wanted to make sure this yeah. was concentrated on you. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> if that, you're going to talk about me, though, you got to mention it once. Yeah, absolutely. That That's one thing that so, you and I could probably talk about for hours. So yeah. I just uh, thank you for coming over and doing this. Um, I hope it was entertaining for people. I, I, I'm not in show business. I'm not in the public eye. I have no desire to be famous whatsoever. I just try to support this guy. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to spread some love out and just share a story or two. Everybody's got their own story. Yeah, for so. me to get uh, Tony uh, to talk in front of people, especially tell a story, it, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. So I, I appreciate you taking the leap and coming over here and doing this and uh i know people are going to enjoy it getting to know who you are and kind of how you got so where I'm you already are. Ner- like what kind of trouble am i going to get in yeah tomorrow here, you know like, comes what did backlash. i say at what time you know so <laughs> well i appreciate it and uh i'm very excited to see 
uh, where where this podcast leads because we got a lot of stuff coming it, up. A lot it of new was kind of like Rogan, dude, with two hours and fourteen minutes. Yeah, exactly. That, they do those for like three, four hours. Oh yeah, I've seen some the three and a half, four hours long on Rogan show. Well, I like it because we actually get to break down a few things. But I mean, you got to consider. I didn't have much notice, and I pretty much had to rewind my whole life in my head and put it on paper. <laughs> well, in and in these situations, it's why Rogan takes some guys and they'll he'll have them on multiple times. Because there's never, no matter how long the podcast is, there's never any way to get everything out there. Yeah. So we'll do it again in the future, and I think it'll yeah. be good. Yeah, we could do a vape one or a, a fed one. But yes. this is the most I've ever told. This is it. This was unfiltered, guys. I don't know what else to tell you. This is what I know, and this is who I am. Sorry, there's some stories I can't tell you, but that's just how it is in life. Well, that's just so, how it is, cuz. Yeah. Well, all right, we're out of here. Thank y'all so much for supporting this podcast. Make sure you go support Vapor Forge and go support our friends at Wild Hair Jerky as they get started as yes. well. Wild uh, Hair Jerky. These are the guys that uh, that make this stuff happen. So we appreciate it. And until next time, see you, cuz. <laughs>